from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe, from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron, for three for the win, yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and this week I've got a very special guest. He's a fellow sports business classroom alum. He's a regular on the program. He's also part of the NBA social team. He does a lot of the uh, the stuff for the NBA Twitter account and uh, also a NBA Summer League intern. You can find him on Twitter at S-I-M-O-N-C-G-O. It's Simon Sharon Gordon. Simon, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Garrett. I appreciate you spelling it out for people there. Yeah, Um, yeah. no, it's been, I think it's been probably two years since I've been on the pod. Right. I mean, or, or no, we did the, we did the finals preview, uh, the 2021 with Corbin. Right. Um, Yeah. But then the last time it was just me was us doing these awards. I think the year before that. But yeah, so it's, it's weird because I think it's been like two NBA seasons ago. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Really only about a year. Right. Uh, But uh, yeah, we're, uh, we've decided to do our uh, our content for this episode on our award predictions for this upcoming 21-22 NBA season. And actually, Simon has done this in the past. I think uh, that was the, that was probably two or three years ago That's that we prob- did yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we're going to go through the all NBA teams, the all defensive teams, the all rookie teams, and also, of course, all of the uh, individual awards. And then at the very end, we'll also uh, give our predictions for who we think will make the Eastern conference finals, the Western conference finals, who will be the Eastern conference champion, Western conference champion, and ultimately the NBA champ. So, uh, Simon, was it, was there anything we needed to clarify or that we needed to discuss before we get into these lists as far uh, as I, I hope, process? I, I guess if there was, I probably probably should have talked about it before. Cause we're here now. <laughs> uh, I was going about this in terms of, purely predictions not like who i think is going to deserve it i hope that that's the way that i was supposed to do it yeah um and yeah I'm, i i've kind of probably i probably mixed a little bit of both in mine uh, sure. but uh yeah let's let's get into first team all nba let's hear who you have in the backcourt yeah so i have steph and luca um same i mean i think that uh you know, we can, if you have any discrepancies, we can get into it, but that, that was probably the easiest part of this whole thing for me. Yep. We're in agreement there. Uh, I, uh, I expect both of them, you know, again, we'll, we'll get into MVP right at the very end of this, but, uh, I expect both of them to be in that conversation this year. And, uh, also with, with, uh, with Scott Levine, when I did my top 30 rankings with him, which Simon, I know you listened to, I had Luca number one, so it should not surprise anybody that uh, I'm pretty high on Luka Doncic. Yeah. And I mean, obviously as we go through this, like we're going to double up on talking about people in different places, but I figure might as well just 
say things now and if, if we need to skip over it later when we get to them again we can I mean I uh with Luca it's like I I think that my feelings about the Mavericks and I think this is what kind of Scott was saying too on that pod it's like I Luca for MVP and we'll, we'll talk about it again it is a tougher sell to me but if I'm if I was ranking players this year I'm, I'm closer to you like I think that I'm just expecting another huge leap from him I think he didn't have like a real off season coming off of his second year. And we saw the leap he made from year one to year two, when he did have a real off season. Um, I'm kind of expecting another similar leap year three to year four, especially after his Olympic experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm in agreement about, uh, you know, your skepticism about Dallas as a team, especially with Jason Kidd at the helm. That's the main Uh, thing. Yeah. My my main thing though, is I think he's going to hurt their defense more. Right. And I think Luca's brilliance, and if if they're still able to win close to 50 games despite being even worse than they were last year defensively, that might even give people more feel, or more thoughts on, oh, yeah, this guy uh, might actually be the most valuable player in the league, just given that, yeah, that Dallas did not solve their issues in terms of finding a secondary playmaker. So it still is all on his shoulders. And if the defense is even worse, that's going to be, they're going to be even more reliant on Luca's brilliance offensively for them to win games. Right. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the, the, the threshold that they have to reach for Luca to look like he's carrying the team is not, they don't have to be a top two or three seed, right? Like if they can yeah. probably get into the top five, given the, the lack of improvement there, the coaching change, the turmoil, that'll look like, like a Herculean effort, right? So as, as far as Steph, I, I don't think there's a lot to say here other than I think we're both in agreement that last year was absolutely not a fluke. That is Steph Curry, and we expect something pretty similar this year with you know a better roster around him. So the team is going to be more successful, which puts him in that you know first team All-NBA category as well as the MVP talk. Yeah, and I think we'll get into him as we get into MVP talk. It sounds like we both at least have him pretty high on our list so uh can save that but i i that's what it is it's like he was first team all nba last year he was uh the number one guard really if you look at it that way and uh the warriors are going to be better i don't see him dropping off pretty easy call for me yep all right so let's get to the uh the the, uh the forward line who do you have there so i have Giannis as one i think that one is pretty hard to argue um you know, he was, uh, he's been up there with KD and LeBron is like, and Kawhi, I guess, is the top forwards in the league the last few years. They just won the title. I think he's going to have a monster, monster season coming off of that with his confidence soaring. Um, my second forward, and this is kind of where it starts to get interesting, is Jason Tatum. Okay. So um, I'll, I'll just mention it now. I have Tatum on my second team. Okay. So who's your other, uh, assuming Giannis is one, I'm, I don't want to assume, I guess, but yes, uh, it's Giannis and Kevin Durant. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that KD was my, the guy I was debating between. Um, and I don't think Tatum's a better player than KD. I, this is more just a games played availability thing. Yeah. Um, KD didn't make the, what did KD even make an all NBA team last year? I believe so, but yeah, I don't think it was first team. It wasn't first team. Let me look that up. Yeah, and I just think it's it's kind of a similar situation this year. Like, I don't see him playing more than 60 games. I think Tatum, he's younger. He doesn't have the same injury history. Boston 
kind of needs him more because they want to avoid the play-in. Um, and I think I do think another little leap is coming from Tatum individually. Actually, you're right. Uh, Durant did not make one of the teams. Yeah, he just it was just a certain point where you. I think he played like forty something games, and it was a condensed season. So that's like he missed, you know, forty percent of the games. I, I don't expect another. I don't expect him to miss as many games with a less condensed schedule and a year away from the Achilles. But I'd be surprised if he got to sixty, frankly. Yeah, and I, I guess that's uh, you know the the playoffs uh, <laughs> sort of alter your mindset so much because yeah, he was probably the best player in the entire NBA in the postseason. So that sort of clouded my mind a little bit, but yeah, um, I, I think he could get to 60. I would say, um, you know, they're, they're still probably going to rest him on some back-to-backs, but you know, I think early in the season, wasn't he dealing with some, some calf issues, some leg issues. Yeah, he was. If he just avoids having that real long absence and just has occasional days off, I think he can get to 60, 65. Uh, which would put him in in consideration for for all of these different teams, but but yeah, as far as um, as far as Jason Tatum, yeah, it, he's uh, he's 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 more durable than Durant, and yeah, I think the uh, I think the Celtics are in line to be in that sort of four or five range in the Eastern Conference, and he has continued to show growth year after year, and yeah, I, I don't mind that pick at all. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that you have him second team speaks to that because there's there's still plenty of directions you could go there. Um, it's, it does seem like he's kind of entered that top echelon of, of do-it-all forwards in the league. Yeah, um, and, and without Kemba in Boston, too, I think he's even more, you know, they, they do have Al Horford there and, and Dennis Schroeder, who will take some of the, the scoring and playmaking burden off of his shoulders, but still I think he's going to have a really high usage rate as that number one guy in Boston. So uh, let's hear who you have at uh, center for the first team. Um, yeah, this one was the toughest. I I'm still, you could sway me on this. Honestly, it was between Jokic and Embiid and I did go with Nikola Jokic. Um, I think that the Sixers are going to have a really good year. I, I don't think that the Ben Simmons situation is going to hurt them as much as people might bake it, bake it in. I have them, uh, finishing as the third seed in the East. And I could even see them finishing second ahead of Brooklyn. Um, And I just think that like Joel is, you know, barring injury, going to be the same guy he was last year. Um, The reason I ended up just leaning Jokic a little bit is just because I think the numbers are going to just be ridiculous with Jamal Murray out most of the season. Um, I don't think Denver is going to finish as high as Philly in their conference, but uh, if they can just be, you know, top five, top six, which I think is close to a guarantee, you know, health permitting, um, minus Murray, of course, like Jokic is just going to put up ridiculous numbers with even more offense flowing through him this year. Yeah. So we agreed on four of the five. I also have Jokic as my first team center and yeah, like even, even beyond just the, 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 the statistics, the, you know, the eye test, I think just, yeah, games played. I think Jokic yeah. is going to play more games than a beat. And that ended up being not the total differentiator in the, in the MVP race last year, but it was pretty significant. And I think that'll be the case again. So yeah, I, uh, and, and I agree. I think the Nuggets are still going to be good. I'm, I'm pretty much in the camp of Nikola Jokic with even an average supporting cast gets you to pretty much near 50 wins. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, I, I agree. I think they'll be 
a top six seed at worst. So let's move on to second team All NBA, and uh, I'll, I'll go first this time with my uh, my second team guards. This is where I have uh, Damian Lillard and James Harden. Okay, so Dame and uh, James were my third team guards, both of them. Okay. Yeah, so I went Trey Young and Devin Booker here. <laughs> we flipped. That's my okay. third team guards. All right, this will be interesting. So, yeah, why why do you uh, have it lined up the way you do with the, the two vets ahead of the young guys? Well, I mean, I think as far as uh, as far as Lillard is concerned, he's just been so incredibly consistent putting up just monster numbers. He's been relatively, you know, one of the most durable guards of the last 10 years. So I'm, I'm fairly confident that he's going to continue to put up put up great numbers and also lead Portland to being a, a terrific offensive unit. Uh, as far as James Harden is concerned, we, we saw last year that when he went to Brooklyn, it was a, a little bit less of the, the scoring James Harden, a little bit more of the distributing James Harden. And with, uh, with the concerns and, uh, around Kyrie Irving, he, the usage rate and the opportunity for James Harden might be higher throughout the year. So I just think those guys have been so consistent with their with their numbers that I, I'm a little bit more confident picking those. But I, uh, you know, I admire your your uh, your courage picking a couple of the younger guys to to step into that role. Yeah, it seems like a little trend developing with me having Tatum a team higher than you yeah. do as well, where I'm I'm probably predicting a little more of that growth uh, entering the season. I, I do kind of just feel like this is the year where it starts to become these guys league a little bit more. Um, we obviously saw Trey and uh, Devin Booker go much deeper into the playoffs than most people expected. Um, and I think, I think I'm more inclined to maybe put Harden on my second team. Like I could definitely, you make a good point about Kyrie's absence. We, we have no idea how long he'll be out for, but even, even if he gets vaccinated and comes back, because of that, you still have to bake in Kyrie missing a lot of time. Um, I have my concerns about Harden's health too, like I do with KD. Yeah. So that that was a big part of it for me. But but I can definitely see uh, see where I may maybe should have still had him on the second team and not just group these guys together. Uh, Dame, I'm I'm pretty low on Portland for a lot of the reasons we discussed about Dallas. Um, I just the, I'm I'm not saying that Chauncey Billups has proven himself to be a bad coach like Jason Kidd has. Um, I just, uh, and I'm probably being really unfair, honestly, in my evaluation. I look at like, so I look at two new hires in the West, right? Chauncey Billups and Willie Green, two first-time coaches. And just like one of those to me looks like, here's a dude who was not a high-profile player. He has been on coaching staffs for years, learning from the best. Um, And I think, Again, we have no data to back up, like, what do we think of these coaches so far? But just my instinct is that Willie Green is going to be a really good coach. And Chauncey Billups is more of a guy who's, like, brought in to connect with the star player. Um, He has a bigger name coming from his career. Uh, And I've heard him on broadcast, and he doesn't sound like the most, you know, groundbreaking basketball thinker to me. Uh, So I don't know. It's, It's totally unfair. I'm just... I'm low on Chauncey. I don't think that Terry Stotts was Rick Carlisle. So it's not like the same drop off coming there. Um, but I just see Portland still having the same defensive issues. I don't know if the offense, the, they were number two in offense last year. Uh, I don't think they can get higher. I think I have them 
a few spots lower than that offensively this year. So I just see Portland as a play-in team and I see uh, the Hawks and Suns as both top four teams. So that's kind of why I went that direction, at least with Dame. Yeah. Um, as far as Billups, it's interesting because I feel like when he was a player, you heard over and over on broadcasts of like, oh, this guy would be a fantastic coach. You know, he's gonna he's destined to right. be a coach one day, sort of just thing. like Jason Kidd, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh yeah, those guys don't necessarily end up panning out as, as often as you would you would think. And yeah, like you also not only in terms of you, you brought up him on the you know he was uh, the the Clippers color commentator for a period of time there, and he didn't you know seem like a Steve Kerr where it seemed like he really had a, a sophisticated basketball mind, but also he's he's never come off as somebody that I I feel like would really get the team amped to play like he doesn't he doesn't seem like someone that that is capable of those rah-rah speeches you need as a as a head coach right yeah he's very like kind of monotone guy and like again like I'm completely acknowledging that all of this is like I have no idea um but I I have to use what I have in terms of making these projections and uh I I just I don't even if he is a better coach than we're giving him credit for um we know that we know the problems Portland had last year. They were really good in close games as well. Um, whereas like Phoenix, I'll just say now, and we'll, and we'll get into it later. I have them finishing first in the West um, and I have Atlanta fourth in the East. Okay. So yeah. And that's the interesting thing too, is how much our feelings about these teams sort of right. impact. Whereas like, I think I'm higher on Brooklyn as a team this year. I think they're the favorite to get the one seed in the East over Milwaukee, where it sounds like you're thinking they're more two, three range. Right. And then Portland. Yes, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to be quite as good on the offensive end, but I think they're going to be significantly better defensively given they got rid of that Cantor Carmelo, Anthony bench defense. I think that's going to help them pretty, pretty significantly on that end. Yeah. And replacing uh, at least one of those spots with Larry Nance, it will help. Um, so then for your second team forwards, I know you had Tatum as one. And then I had LeBron James as my other. Yep. I had LeBron as my other as well. That, and that's just like baking in that he's, you know, 36, um, entering, what is this year? 18, you're ninth, you're 19 now. Right. Um, that's crazy to think about. Yeah. It's, it's really <laughs> crazy. I mean, he, he looked like an MVP candidate early last season, and did not after his ankle injury. So it's TBD on that. But I think even if he's healthy and more like the guy he was early last year, um, to me, he's going, the lesson he will take from last year is I'm not at the point where I can go all out in the regular season anymore. I'm just not. Yeah. So was Kevin Durant on your second, your, your second team? Yeah. So KD was my other forward on this team. All right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, with with LeBron, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, there's been talk out of Lakers camp that they're going to go with LeBron at the four and AD at the five this year, which which makes sense, given they've now got a point guard in Russell Westbrook that, that can't space the floor. Um, but uh, do you envision that change making any difference in terms of like not only LeBron, but AD's sort of all NBA candidacy? Well, it's interesting because I was tempted to put AD on one of my teams over LeBron. I'll just say now that I don't have AD on one of my all NBA teams. Okay. Um, but I, I was tempted to go with him over LeBron just because I do think that Russ is probably going to take some of the playmaking duties away from LeBron at times. Um, and AD's role is kind of going to be the same regardless. Uh, 
but with him playing more center, like that always becomes tricky. He, and if he does play enough center, I, I would have an easier time slotting him in like on my third team maybe. Um, but I just, I, I don't know. They just brought in Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan. I, I don't know really if I trust that or what to expect there. Yeah. Um, I'll just say now I actually do have Anthony Davis as my third team center. Okay. Okay. Uh, um, so you think he'll play enough center where that's. I do, but yeah, it's, uh, it's debatable whether that'll actually, that'll actually happen. Uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, so, uh, we still need to get to our second team centers and my, my second team center, probably not a surprise is Joel Embiid. Yeah, mine too. Um, he was, he was my MVP last year until his injury and, uh, you know, he had the, he had the injury and it was still affecting him in the playoffs. Reports are that he's, he's fully healthy. Um, and like I said earlier, I just think that if whether or not Ben Simmons, I mean, he's Ben Simmons is almost definitely not going to play a game for this team, but whether or not that gets resolved sooner or later, um, I just don't think it's going to be a distraction because I don't think he's going to be around the team. And I think that these guys are pretty tight knit um, other, other than that. And if there is a trade made, I think it'll, probably bring in players that are really useful for this team. So I, I expect Embiid to be right there in the MVP discussion again. Yeah, it all, it all to me just comes down to he's, he's established himself as when he's healthy, he's a borderline top five guy in the league. Right. Uh, it, it just depends on if he can, if he can stay on the floor and the, you know, last year was a pretty positive sign in that direction. Right. Um, so, so for third team, all NBA, we already talked about the guards. You had Harden and Lillard there. I had young and Booker. I guess we didn't, we didn't talk much about Booker Yeah, uh, or young really, but uh, yeah, I guess not uh, as far as, as far as Booker, one thing that I think is, is going to be fascinating moving forward is the idea that, you know, it was, it was Chris Paul and Booker, both sort of um, taking turns running that offense and you saw in the playoffs, it kind of shifted where Chris Paul was more the the playmaker, the you know the the traditional point guard, and Booker just went into the role of pure score. He's just going to score the basketball. I could see that shifting a little bit as as Paul starts to age and Booker starts to take on more of that dual role, where at times he's he's a scorer, but at other times he he shifts into that sort of point guard mode. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um which will help him statistically, obviously. We don't know if that'll help Phoenix's offense, but I think as long as those guys are both out there, as long as like the responsibilities shift a little, uh, I expect it to have a similar impact on the team. And the other thing is like, I mean, Booker is sick of the Kobe comparisons. Everyone is, but like we did see Kobe Bryant after his first deep run, just come back and like, now I'm a superstar. And I, I just expect something similar from Devin Booker. He was also had the Olympic experience. Um, he's, I think, going to be 25 this year. And it just seems like this is his prime now. He's been like, seemed like he was 18 years old for the first six years of his career. He's finally seems like he's, he's grown up and he's just like, uh, this is the Devin Booker that we've all been, the people that have been high on him, which I have been the whole time. This is the guy that we've all been saying he's going to eventually become. I think this will be the first year where it's just like, that's that dude. He's, pretty much as good as any guard in the league, maybe outside of the guys we have on the first team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, agree with all of that. And yeah, as far as Trey Young, I feel like it's a similar argument too, that he had that great run in the postseason, And typically that gives a, a young player a lot of confidence to see that, Hey, I, I did this against the, 
you know, he, he played against some pretty darn good defenses and, and had a great run with, with Atlanta. And, and I'm also fairly high on the Hawks. I actually have the Hawks higher than Philadelphia in my projected standings. I have the Hawks finishing at three, just okay. below the likes of Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Yeah. I mean, the, the, a full season with Nate McMillan growth from Trey growth from a lot of their young guys. I, I totally think that that's in the realm of possibility. All right. So let's get to the third team forwards and uh, let's hear who you had there. Okay. So I had Zion and Paul George uh, as my third team forwards. It was tough with, I considered AD, um, which, you know, we'll see where the positional designations come in with him. I considered Chris Middleton because I think Milwaukee is going to cruise to a one seed. And I think Middleton has gained a lot of respect around the league for what he did in the playoffs last year. Um, but at the end of the day, just thinking about all NBA and, and the numbers that are required, he's, he's not going to compete with Zion and Paul George statistically. Um, so, so those are my guys there. Who, what, who did you have? So I went with Zion and Middleton. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you had Middleton over PG. Yeah. And, and I think I, I agree that, uh, that Paul George is probably going to have superior individual numbers, but I, I expect Milwaukee to be a significantly better team. And this might be a little bit of my own bias getting in there because I feel like Middleton should have made a third team all NBA already in his career. And he hasn't. Um, and so like, yeah, they've shown signs that like they haven't given him the respect in the past, but as you said, given that he's now a champion, he was the number two guy on a championship team. Maybe now the voters will finally begin to appreciate Middleton's value. Yeah. I, I think that, this was maybe the toughest decision for me in terms of guys to leave off was putting Paul George in there over Middleton. Um, I think we're pretty much in alignment with him as a player and, and probably about PG too, just based on the arguments I've heard you make about PG. I, I think that uh, I could uh, like, again, with a lot of this, it comes down less to what we think about the players and more what we think about the teams. Um, I have the Clippers as my sixth seed avoiding playing and i think if he can if paul george can take them there without Kawhi playing all season um that'll that'll be really impressive to voters absolutely yeah i think i have similar range like maybe six maybe seven i might have them like one spot lower in that uh, but in that play in mix maybe getting out or avoiding the play in just barely yeah. but uh yeah, let's let's talk about Zion then, because we both had him on third team All NBA, and of course he had a, a terrific uh, a terrific season in uh, in year two. And uh, are you expecting a similar a similar leap for this twenty one twenty two campaign? It's weird. I am. I just don't know what the leap looks like. Yeah. Um, but like this is exactly how I felt about Luca coming off of. Uh, coming off of his rookie year. Like I was like, this dude was amazing. He's one of the best rookies that I've ever seen, but like how much further does he have to go? His game is so refined. Uh, like he's not necessarily going to add a bunch of skill because that's already what's carrying him. So it was harder to see the path. Whereas if he was like this raw athletic dude uh, and, and that's what Zion is. Zion's as athletic as they come and just physically dominant. So I guess in that sense, it would be skill development. Um, I just maybe don't know what the specific skill development is, if it's better playmaking, if his defense is going to get better. I don't expect it to be shooting. Um, and, and as much as he is physically dominant, he's also extremely skilled around the basket. 
and with the ball. So I, I don't know what the, the leap is, but uh, I've just decided I'm going to just start betting on these like generational talents to get better when they're this young. Yeah, uh, as far as, uh, you know, I think, didn't we say the same thing about Giannis, though, when he was done? It was like, he's this yeah. raw athletic freak, and he's he's got to improve his skills to get better, and <laughs> he just got more dominant physically. <laughs> right, right. So that's also that's also a route that Zion could take. I mean, yeah, you would you would definitely hope that he uh, he improves as far as his awareness and just his impact on the defensive end. That is a major weakness of his. But uh, yeah, like I, I think he could just get marginally better, just dominating in this in a similar way, and just like what we saw with Giannis in the finals, just understanding. Okay, this is this is what I do extremely well. And I'm just going to do it over and over again and just get more efficient at doing it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think we're in, we're in agreement as far as Zion and yeah, the, uh, you know, I, I didn't foresee the whole like point Zion thing coming really at all. So yeah, he, he is also a bit of an open book as far as like what to expect from him moving forward. Yeah. I, I didn't see it coming this early. I mean, I, I, Watching him at Duke, I thought, okay, yeah, this dude has a lot of potential as a playmaker. Um, but then watching him in his rookie season, it seemed like he was just like almost a downhill exclusively, like very little court vision, um, singularly focused, right, on just getting to the bucket. And then we, we saw it come along pretty quickly last year. And I mean, the, the scoring is, is just ridiculous. Like he averaged, what, 27 points a game on... I want to say probably like 64 true shooting or something like that. I'm just going off the top of my head here, but um, it's pretty much unparalleled scoring efficiency. And if he can just make marginal improvements again as a playmaker, then New Orleans' offense, which was already like, despite it kind of being uh, not the most organized or coherent offense last year, was still in the upper half of the league. Um if Zion can improve a little and, and Brandon Ingram can improve a little, they, there's no reason that they won't have a top 10 defense this year. Yeah, with Zion, he, 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 uh, 87% of his shot attempts his rookie year came at the rim. And last year it actually went down. It went to 81%. But his efficiency improved. It, in his rookie year, he shot 62% at the rim. Last year he shot 67 so, like, if you can envision him, like, getting into Giannis' range where it's, like, in the low 70s as far as his efficiency finishing at the basket, it's going to be it's gonna be really scary. And it doesn't even need to be with him because he's, like, such a great kind of offensive rebounder of his own misses, too. Um, yeah. And he just moves so many people out of the way as he, as he drives in. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so if it still improves despite him having those advantages. Also, I just looked it up. So 27 points per game, 65 true shooting last year. And that's as a 20-year-old. Yeah, that's that's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's hear, you You uh, you said you did not have Anthony Davis on any of your teams. He was my third-team center. Who was your third-team center? I had Bam Adebayo uh, okay. as my third-team center. I think that I have Miami. I mean, I don't know. The East is so, like, weird to me. I, I think, like, four through eight, I'm just – I think could finish in any order. I do have Miami near the top of that group, but I just think that uh, he's going to improve. Um, he's he's still kind of in that upward trajectory. I think again, another guy who showed a lot of growth in the 2019-20 season, maybe not quite as much 
coming off of that season, not only for having a shorter off season, but they went to the finals. So he had hardly any off season. Um, I expect him to make another leap this year with a full off season. And I also think that Kyle Lowry is going to be great for him to play with. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting call. Yeah. He, uh, he, he was in consideration for me. I also considered uh Carl Anthony towns here. Yeah. I think he could have a breakout year. And if Minnesota is better than, than I expect him to be, yeah, he'll definitely be in this conversation. Uh, I, I am lower on the heat just because I think their offense isn't going to be nearly as good as, as people expect, just because they they don't have great spacing. I mean, if you're playing Butler, Tucker and bam, a ton of minutes together, even it's uh, it's going to be a bit of a struggle, even with the, with the off the dribble shooting that Lowry provides. Um, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I think bam, he showed some strides in the regular season as far as his mid range jumper improving and then he just lost it completely in the postseason when Lopez was, you know, uh, dropping back about eight feet from him and he, he didn't want to take it. But, uh, it, yeah, if he shows continued progression with that jumper, that'll open up more things for the dribble handoff game and, and all of that. So, uh, yeah, I like that call. So we're, we're through our all uh, all NBA teams. Let's uh, let's get to the all defensive teams next. And uh why don't uh, actually I'll I'll start with my guards on my first team all defense. I'm going with Drew Holiday and Dejounte Murray. Okay, I like it. Um, I kind of wish I did the same thing. I went Drew Holiday and Marcus Smart. Um, Dejounte Murray, I had on my. I forget if I had him on my first team or my second team last year, but I definitely like was just like I don't care where the Spurs rank defensively. This guy is just too good to not be on here. And I kind of wish I had taken that approach again with these predictions. But um, I, like I said, I, I was kind of trying to make this more what I expect to happen. And I do think Boston is is going to be a lot better than last year. I think the defense will be really good. And I think that uh, that Marcus is obviously the guy who gets the most credit for that. But but I love DeJounte. Yeah, I just think, you know, the Spurs finished 13th in defense last year. They got rid of DeMar DeRozan. They got rid of Patty Mills. I mean, obviously that's going to hurt their offense, but I think it's going to help their defense quite a bit. I I would be surprised if they're not a top 10 defense this year and DeJounte Murray being the clear number one individual defender on that team. So that was kind of my thought process. But yes, I uh, I'll just say it. I had smart as my uh, my third guard. So he's on my second team. So he was, he was definitely in consideration there. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I maybe should be higher on the Spurs defense than I, I was. I mean, I went through and made my offensive and defensive predictions, which is kind of how I do standings every year. I like rank the offense, rank the defense, figure out the relative net rating and, and just go with that with little tweaks here and there. Yeah. I like, um, like to do that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the, the most, because the thing is I'll always like make predictions before I do that and then I'll do that and it'll be like oh yeah not only is it different but it's also like different in the ways that I think it should be right um, there's, there's always like that team that you think oh they're pretty good offense and then you're like oh but there's 15 offenses that are clearly better than that <laughs> right right exactly um so I might have to go back and kind of reassess where San Antonio fell for me defensively because you do make a good point that their their losses will probably boost them up there um so i yeah i had i mean drew i don't know if we need to talk about drew i think he's like at this point going to go down as one of the best defensive guards in nba history especially after cementing you know his reputation with just that iconic play in game five 
Um, I, I think even if he has a slightly worse defensive season this year, he's going to get probably voted onto the first team just coming off those finals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, I, I think it's not just a, you know, he'll, he'll get on for a reputation, but also I think he's, he's also just still going to be tremendous throughout the regular season. And, uh, you know, I, I think Milwaukee in general with their championship, their championship victory, they're, they're going to, I think, be able to take sort of a sigh of relief, relax and, uh, and, and really just sort of settle into their own roles. And, and I think you're going to see a lot of individual players on that team, you know, improve upon what they did even last year. Um, so uh, we, we got through the guards then. So on the, the forward line, this is where I have Giannis and Draymond. Yep. We're in agreement. Uh, I was going to say Giannis is a guy who kind of fits what we were just talking about too. Um, the reputations there, they're coming off the finals. And I also think he's going to totally deserve it because he's Giannis. Um, I mean, Draymond was a tougher call for me. What, what made you end up putting him on your first team? Well, I mean, we, you know, two seasons ago when Steph got hurt really early on and the team was basically playing around Draymond Green and, uh, you know, the offense was, was obviously terrible without Steph. You saw Green kind of check out, and right. you know the the defense suffered as well, and you know they got the second overall pick because of it. But then last year with Steph healthy and playing, which uh, you know, fingers crossed that happens again this year, uh, you saw that Green was was committed, and uh, the the Warriors had a top ten defense, and that was largely due to Draymond Green's brilliance. I mean, not to suggest that they don't have other decent defenders on that roster. I think they still do. But uh, Green is just an absolute monster. And in that play-in game, that Warriors-Lakers play-in game, Draymond Green was playing defense at a level that, you know, uh, you know uh, that, that we saw back in 2016, 2017. He was just absolutely, uh, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I, so I am curious about this because I've heard a lot of people kind of predicting the Warriors defense to fall off this year, kind of seeing it as this inverse thing where the offense will get a lot better, but the defense will get a lot worse. Am I miss, like, I don't understand why the defense is getting worse. I know that like they replace some more athletic players with less athletic players. Like Oubre's gone, Bazemore's gone, Pascal's gone. They brought in Otto Porter, Andre Godala, Nemanja Bielitsa. Like those guys are all much, even Iguodala at this point in his career, like much less athletic, but none of those guys were high IQ defenders at all. Um, I don't think there's a reason the Warriors were a top five defense last year. I think the reason is Draymond Green more than anything, obviously. And then like Kevon Looney and Andrew Wiggins were the two other real plus defenders in their starting lineup. So like, to me, I still think it's a top 10 defense and that's why I have Draymond there. It seems like you probably agree with me. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I, you know, they still have, Andrew Wiggins, I think Juan Toscano-Anderson is solid defensively. Iguodala yeah. is solid. So they've still got solid defensive wings. I think the the one thing I would look at is I would say, you know, in the backcourt, you know, I, I think Steph has always been an underrated defender, but he's he's a year older and he's he's nothing special there. And then they're also likely to play. I think we're hearing that they're going to play more maybe pool at the two and play them together some. And then also when Clay eventually comes back, we have no idea what kind of defender he's going to be. 
And, uh, you know, I would I would guess that he'll be a below average defensive player after those uh, two catastrophic injuries that he suffered. Um, So I guess that would be the one concern would be the backcourt defense. But when you have a uh, when you have a back line with a guy like Draymond plus solid defense on the wing, I, I think you're probably low end outcome an average defensive unit. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with everything you said. I mean, they also brought in Avery Bradley, who remains to be seen if he's going to really be part of the rotation um, or what kind of defender he is at this point in his career. But he's a guy who could at least give them more than than some of their other options at that two-guard spot. Um, and Damian Lee, solid, not, not a terrible defensive player, but certainly not an impact guy. Um, I do agree with you. If Jordan Poole gets significantly more minutes, which he will uh that could be an issue and, and clay probably is at least not going to be like the the guy guarding point guards anymore um yeah. i could still see if he's more of a full-time three being like an average defender just based on like strength and and iq but um but yeah he's, he's not going to be the the plus he used to be yeah and and i think that's why that that bradley acquisition was i think a good one uh, because they they now sort of need that uh, that point guard pressure um on this roster and you know that was again something that like Ubre, Bazemore, those guys brought that they lost so you sure. get a little bit of that back with bradley and uh that, that's also why i was kind of hoping that the the warriors would have drafted davion mitchell with the seventh pick because i think he provided a lot of what they needed defensively on the perimeter and also could give them another you know another option when steph is off the floor but yeah <laughs> yeah you know how i feel we're in agreement um let's uh let's get to the uh first team all defense center this is probably not a surprise i've got rudy gobert yep i do too i don't think there's i think this is like the one maybe with true holiday where it's just like you have to like it's just wrong if you don't it's the wrong answer yeah and the jazz have continued to keep the sort of the same roster construction where it's Rudy Gobert doing everything defensively and then you build your you put off nothing but offensive guys around him yeah and i still have them with the top defense in the league again this year so yeah it's very possible i mean gobert is still very much in his prime in his late 20s so uh, let's get to let's get to second team all defense and uh, let's hear who you have in the the guard line there so if i were uh if I think about the Spurs more and, and agree with you that they're going to finish higher, I'll, I'll put DeJounte Murray in for one of these spots. But I had Mikel Bridges and Batiste Thibel here. Um, Thibel, we know, is just like an elite defensive player at this point. And I do think the Sixers will finish with a top 10 defense um, uh, again. And I and then Mikel Bridges, like I, I had him on my second team last year. Um, I don't know if he's actually one of the four best defensive guards in the league, but he showed a lot of growth last season. Um, the playoffs were a bit of a different beast for him, but regular season with Phoenix being an elite unit, uh, I think he's going to get one of these spots. Yeah. So I guess we're just, uh, we have a bit of a differentiation on the positional designation. So I have bridges on my second team, but as a forward. Okay. Uh, and uh, I, I thought I heavily considered Thibel, but I didn't end up putting him on. Um, he would probably be my toughest cut. But uh, on for my guards, I already mentioned I had Marcus Smart. But then my other guard, this might be a bit of a surprise. 
I've got Dylan Brooks. Okay, I love it. So I so this is uh that's an interesting construction with bridges at the forward spot. I actually put Kyle Anderson as one of my forwards. Okay. So we're um, both we're both high on Memphis's defense. We feel like they deserve yeah. at least one guy on one of these teams. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I liked the, the Dylan Brooks call. I mean, he he was super impressive to me just watching him against the Warriors in, in the play-in. Um, the way that he was able to really like take away a lot of steps off ball stuff. Um, and then so sorry, so your other guard on this team is Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart. Okay. Okay, yeah. So so what is it? I mean, I looking, like I said, going through looking at every team's defense, um, I ended up with Memphis as my number three defense. Wow. Uh, yeah. So what why are you also high on? on their defense this year. I mean, obviously they were good last year, but. So, I mean, I think a lot of it's Taylor Jenkins. I think he's a good defensive coach. Uh, I think he gets more out of that team than maybe the talent would suggest. But, uh, you know, I think they're, they're also sort of an example of a team that they don't have. I mean, we, we, we are talking about two guys that we think are all defensive caliber guys and Brooks and Anderson, but beyond that, I don't think they have a ton of guys that you look at and say, oh, that's somebody we can attack. You know, even right. off the bench, they just have, you know, uh, you know, guys in DeAnthony Melton, Desmond Bain, Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman. These guys are all just, you know, when you when you go like 10 to 12 deep with solid defensive guys, I think that that makes it pretty easy to have like an above average defense. And then when you factor in, yeah, you've got a couple of guys in there and Anderson and Brooks that are elite uh, it, it just makes it really difficult. And yeah, combine that with a team that's well coached on that end. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I think three is a little high. I have them more like similar to what they did last year around seven. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm very high on, on this team's defense. Yeah, I guess for me, I, I do think that like the move from Valanciunas to Stephen Adams uh, is going to help a little bit. Um, which is probably what just pushed them up a couple spots for me. And, and they're just young. I mean, a lot of these guys are still improving. Uh, yep. But I agree with you. Like the, the fact that there's really no holes, even even like John Moran, Jaron Jackson, like those aren't guys you want to attack, even if they haven't necessarily like reached this defensive ceiling that was potentially projected onto them. Yeah. So let's get to uh, to my forwards. And I already mentioned I had. I had uh, Mikhail Bridges there, and uh, my other forward is OG Ananobi. Okay. Um, so <laughs> looking at what I did here, I had Bam at the forward spot, even though I had him as a center for the All-NBA team. I think I think you can do that with all defensive teams. Like, I feel like the positional designations are a little more fluid there. Yeah, uh, there's, been some, there's been some weird discrepancies where, yeah, a guy is position, positioned at one spot on all NBA and a different all, all defense. So, yeah, it's it, there is a precedent. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, OG, obviously, like, I, I can totally see him getting on there. He was one of my first cuts. Um, I just think, like I said, Bam, I'm expecting more growth from him this year. I'm, I'm higher on Miami than you. Uh, we we kind of know what his defensive game is, obviously, one of the most switchable bigs in the league. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the second team center, this is where I had, uh, I had Joel Embiid here. Yeah. And, uh, I believe this is, uh, I believe he was at this spot last year as well. Yeah. Yeah. He was. And I have him there too. Um, 
I before we move on, like I just the the one guy that was tough to leave off for me was Miles Turner. Did you consider him, or do you not see Indy being a good enough defensive unit? Where where were you with him? Yeah, I, I certainly considered him, and yeah, this is where like just each team only having one center is tough for those types right. of guys, and and another reason why because I think see Bam is more of a center, so I that's why he was kind of uh, you know on the outside looking in, but. The, the other issue with Indianapolis is it's kind of like, you know, when Turner's on the floor, they're excellent. And then when he comes off, they're average to below average. So the team defense doesn't look as good as maybe, you know, what sort of impact he's having individually. But yeah, yeah. I think he's, he's right there. I would, I would argue he's, uh, he's not Rudy Gobert, but I would argue he's in the same class as Joel Embiid as a rim protector in that defensive anchor, minus the defensive rebounding. Right. I think that's fair at this point. Um, I mean, and maybe we'll get more into this later, but one thing that was interesting to me too, kind of going through and looking at these teams, like making my standings predictions was a lot of teams uh, it, when like thinking about how good are they going to be on defense versus on offense, because you kind of need to like know where a team is going to finish defensively to pick your all defensive teams. That's clearly so much of how the voting works, but it's a lot of it just comes down to like which way are their lineups going to skew. And there's a lot of teams in the league that like they can be 10th in defense and 20th in offense or 20th in defense and 10th in offense. And it's just who is the coach going to play? Um, and I feel like Indiana's kind of near the top of that. And especially with Rick Carlisle coming in, a guy who's always leaned offensively. Um, I, I think he's going to lean that way. But, but it's interesting how many teams in the league kind of like it's not necessarily that they're more of a defensive team or offensive team. It's more just like, what's their identity going to be? Yeah. And the, some of the, the, the news around uh, TJ Warren is also just like making me a lower on, on Indiana. I was actually like thinking, Oh, this will be a really fun, like pretty solid team. And then you, you start to look at the, the East from top to bottom and you're like, Oh, darn <laughs> There's, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about like Miami and New York and like the, or at least I am thinking of them as like five through seven in the East and they go, yeah, this is a, it's a pretty deep conference at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I had, I have Indiana eighth right now in my predictions, I could see them getting up to seven, but it, it'll be really tough to avoid the plan. Uh, the East is, it, it has gotten deeper in that midsection, I think. So let's get to the uh, the all rookie teams, and so there's no there's no positional designations on these teams, and uh, I'm I'm happy for that because I don't have a single big man on okay. uh, on my first two. I have I have one, but uh, but let's hear yours. Okay, so do you want me to just name all five? Yeah, we could go that way. Okay, so I've got Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, Davion Mitchell, and Chris Duarte. Okay, so we agree on three. I had Cade, Jalen Green, and Chris Duarte. Uh, Suggs and Davion are both on my second team. Okay. Um, our two discrepancies, I actually have Cam Thomas on my first team. Oh, wow. And, and Alperin Shengun as well. Okay, so, yeah, I um, Cam Thomas was one of my toughest cuts, but I did not have him on either of my teams, but I did have Shengun on my second team. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think with, uh, with Cam, it's like, it's just a situational thing. I think Brooklyn's going to be really good. I think he's going to get a ton of run there. 
uh, with Kyrie missing time, like we talked about, with all, all those guys are going to miss time. And uh, just watching him in summer league, watching him in the Nets' first preseason game, even like he's going to score right away. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's like even competing with Cade Cunningham for second highest scoring rookie. Maybe Jalen Suggs. I think Jalen Green's going to run away with that. But like I could see him scoring at least in the times that. Kyrie's not playing him being like a 17, 18 point per game guy off the bench for an elite team. Um, so, so that's why I have him in there. And then Shangun, I just think like I'm making basically a bet that this dude is just way more NBA ready than his age would suggest. Um, and the, the amount of opportunity in Houston, obviously, even with Jalen Green there, like <laughs> there's just, there's as many shots as he wants in that offense. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I I think I'm just as high on Shangun as you are. It's just I, I don't know if he's going to get quite as many minutes and, and opportunities as some of these other guys. And again, we're talking about he's also on the team with Jalen Green, who's going to get plenty of his own uh, looks and opportunities. So I think that's just why I have him a little bit lower. But yes, I, I love him as a player, as a prospect. Is, is there anything we need to say about Cade, uh, Green, and Duarte? Not really. I mean, other than, yeah, I was super impressed with Duarte in summer league. He looked uh, about as NBA ready as anybody that was in Vegas. And uh, yeah, I mean, green and green and Cunningham they're they're going to, I would say, I would be surprised if either of them are not averaging at least like 17 points a game next season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically it seems like, uh, you know, green and Cunningham are the, the top guys in this class. I think that there's a clear delineation after them. Duarte is the most NBA ready. And then you could argue Davion's the next most NBA ready. So is that kind of part of why you have those two on your first team? Pretty much. Yep. Uh, I, I think uh, a lot of this is just going to come down to, I mean, obviously statistics of, you know, points per game come a lot into this, but also just, you know, being able to, to contribute at a level where you could say, okay, this guy actually seems like an NBA caliber <laughs> rotation player. I think that makes a big difference. And, you know, a lot of times these rookie teams, especially when you get to the second team, sometimes it's it's uh, it's not that high of a hill to climb as far as, uh, you know, what you're expected to, to do to being like one of the top 10 rookies. So you did not have Suggs on the first team. Did you have him on the second team? I did. I also had Davion. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I had I had Suggs and Davion on the second team. Suggs, I... I'm a little lower. I almost, I almost left him off my second team actually, but as I was going through it, it was just like, it was hard to fill that 10th spot. And I'm like, why am I trying so hard to leave this guy off? Yeah. Um, I, cause I like his game. I mean, I, I think that, and he's going to get plenty of opportunity. I just don't think he's going to be good this year. Um, and I think that he's going to need a little more around him than that to be good. But I, I do have uh, his teammate Franz Wagner on, on this team as well. Okay. So uh, I'll just go through my second team that I, I mentioned. I already had a uh, Shen Goon. Um, so this guy I kind of picked, I, I think for a similar rationale as why you picked Cam, Th- Cam Thomas. I'm going with a uh, bones Highland here for the yep. Nuggets. Given I have him too. Yeah. Murray's going to miss some time. I think he's going to be a guy that steps in and, and, and get some minutes for a good team. And I, he, he also seemed uh, you know, somewhat NBA ready as well. He's got some of that uh, off the bounce game that you like to see. And I think he could turn out to be a pretty good player in a few years. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, again, like with Cam Thomas, just basing it off summer league in the first preseason game I saw from him, it seems like seems like he's ready to score. 
Uh, is he going to be a positive contributor when you factor in everything that goes into that? I don't know, but he's going to score. He's going to be in a high-powered offense and on a good team. Um, and yeah. so, so yeah, so wait, sorry. So you named three of your guys. Oh, yeah, I've, I've got three left uh, on my second team. So I've got Scotty Barnes on there, Evan okay. Mobley, and Trey Murphy the third. I also have Trey Murphy. Okay, so did you did you have uh, Barnes and Mobley? I didn't. So I have my second team. I feel like I've named them all now, but kind of disparately. I had Davion Mitchell, Jalen Suggs, Bones, Franz Wagner, and Trey Murphy. So no Scotty Barnes, no Evan Mobley. Interesting. I, I mean, yeah, I uh, I'm surprised by the uh, the Franz Wagner over Scotty Barnes pick. Do you want to uh, elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, I. Look, I watched Scotty Barnes last night and was really impressed, and I could easily change that. Um, it was just an opportunity thing. I, I, I don't know what his opportunity is going to be with that team, um, given that they have OG and Pascal at those spots. Um, but if they do lean young, which they very well could do, especially midway through the season, um, he, he could just have that opportunity. And also, if, he's, if, he's, if he is as good as he looked last night, um, and he's just that NBA ready, like that would change things a lot. I I'm, wasn't quite as sold on him um, as I was on on some of these other guys just coming in right away. But I, I and Wagner is just a guy who again I think he's more NBA ready. I think he's going to have the opportunity, um, and and I could just see him kind of putting up numbers that scream all rookie. But I, I I'm very willing to be wrong on Barnes. Mobley seems even less. NBA ready to me. Um, yeah. but, and, and I also think that the opportunity there is even more kind of questionable with, with some of their log jam, but uh, I think you, I'm assuming you watched him pretty closely, like at least in summer league, I don't know in college, but what, what's your feeling on, on him being first team this, or being on the all rookie team this year? I mean, when, when I look at the Cavs front court, I think it's mostly going to be, it's going to be Jared Allen, Mobley and, and Markinen taking up, a good chunk of those four or five minutes, which is, I think, a little bit unfortunate and why I wasn't as high on the marketing thing, because I would like to see even moments where uh, where a Coro plays some at the four, but I just don't think that's going to happen much. So I think Mobley's going to get 25 minutes a night at the very least. And yeah, he's he's definitely not NBA ready as far as the the strength and, and some of those things. But I think he's going to block some shots. He's going to he's going to sh- showcase his passing a little bit and and just score just enough to be on this uh, on this team because as as I said earlier, it's uh, it's not a high bar to uh, to get on the back end of the the all rookie second team. Yeah, totally fair. And then we both had Trey Murphy, which I like. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for him. I think he fits that roster so well. Um, and he's a little you know he's a little older for a rookie. That I always like to look for that. One. Yeah, I yeah, I, I think it's just mostly a fit thing for me there. It's like they just desperately need a player like him on this roster. So I think he's gonna play because he has to. Right. Um, so let's get to uh let's get to the individual awards. And uh this this first one is always one that uh you know I struggle to I struggle to pick because you never know if like they're uh they're selecting this based on what they accomplished last year or what they're um, you know, what they did in the off season, which again, it's, it's hard to tell like, Oh, you know, sometimes you can look back at an off season and say, Oh, I thought that was great, but it actually was terrible and vice versa. 
But uh, who do you have for executive of the year? Yeah, uh, I have Sean Marks. And we're in agreement. Okay, interesting. I mean, this was a really tough one to pick because this offseason was just so uneventful. Um, there, there wasn't that team like, like the Nets were going back uh, two seasons, right? When he brought in Kyrie and KD, where it's like, oh man, this is like a sea change in the league. Um, that just didn't happen this offseason. So I think some of it is going to be kind of a delayed win. Uh, Marks was right there in contention last year and lost out to James Jones. So I think that some of it will be like a delayed win for that. But I also think that like the moves on the margins he made were really strong. Cam Thomas, uh, I think Tesla Edwards might even be another rookie who contributes for this team. And then Patty Mills and Paul Millsap are, are two other additions that I just think are going to bolster what was already a, you know, if not clear title favorite, then top, you know, definitely top tier team. Um, yeah, LaMarcus Aldridge too. And, and Aldridge back. Bringing back uh, Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin. Uh, the main, I guess the key departure being a guy like Jeff Green, but overall he, I, I think they, they added depth. And yeah, I'm in complete agreement with you that, uh, you know, for when, when they, in that series against Milwaukee, when they didn't have, they didn't have uh, Kyrie and James Harden was playing at about 40%, uh, you know, they just lacked that uh, extra playmaking around Durant. And this year, like, even if they went into a similar situation where two of their three stars went down, like, yeah, having Mills, having a Cam Thomas that can just create a shot and make it so that Durant can take occasionally a possession here, a possession there off, makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I think we're in agreement. Um, so are we doing coach of the year next? Yes. And um, I don't know if you did this. I, I didn't, I didn't ask you to, so it's obviously okay, but I kind of had like a runner up for each category as well. I just uh, sort of an honorable mention, but okay. uh, my guy there I had was uh, Travis Schlank. Okay. So I, I didn't do like an official runner up for each, but I have, I have them for most. Um, okay. I, I didn't actually think through for, for this award, but what's uh, for Schlank. I mean, is that also kind of like a, a delayed thing based on like the, the team he's built because they didn't do too much this summer. yeah and I think his I think the draft was pretty good I think those guys might actually be able to to contribute and Jalen Johnson he looked good in summer league and Sharif Cooper as well and I like the move to get uh, DeLon Wright they also picked up Gorgie Jang so similar to Brooklyn I think they they did a nice job of, of bolstering their depth yeah yeah I think I think that's totally fair and I mean um I don't know how voters think about this award but if you want to consider the moving from lloyd pierce to, to nate mcmillan um that's another thing that again maybe he didn't get credit for for last year but if this is mcmillan's first full year on the job uh there could be kind of a delayed delayed recognition of that well and my my pick for coach of the year which i'll just get to now is uh, is part of the reason why i'm also uh, suggesting that schlank's in contention for uh, executive of the year because my coach of the year is nate mcmillan Okay. Uh, I had Monty Williams as my coach of the year, um, but I want to hear kind of your, your argument for McMillan. I had McMillan, by the way, as my number two. Okay. So, I mean, like I said earlier, I expect the Hawks to, or my, my projection is the Hawks at three in the East. I see them anywhere from like 51 to 54 wins kind of in that range. Um, I think that puts you in contention for coach of the year. And I think they're going to, 
uh, it's another thing where you can say, oh, after he stepped in last year, yeah, the voters will feel like, oh, he he deserves some praise for what he did, turning that season around for the Hawks and, and doing so well in the postseason. And again, I think this team is also perfectly suited to his coaching strengths because he's a defensive coach, so he can get the most out of a team on that end of the floor, and that's what this team needs. And then offensively, he can just give the keys to Trey Young and let him do his thing. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's a it's a perfect mesh of coach and team. And yeah, I'm, I'm high on the Hawks. Yeah, I am, too. I think that like they might not be quite the monster they were down the stretch last year where they were like arguably the best team in the league. Um, but I do think they'll be a lot closer to that than than to the pre Nate McMillan version, obviously. Um, I went with Monty and I feel like, again, this is partially giving him credit for last season, but I was really surprised he didn't win last year. I don't think Tom Thibodeau was undeserving by any stretch. Um, I just thought Monty kind of was going to run away with it, frankly. And uh, I was a bit shocked that he lost out. And then I'm sure a lot of people agreed. And then coming off of that, the Suns go to the finals. And like, to me, he, he even solidified his case further. I think that's going to give him like a ton of momentum going into this season. Um, and I just think that like the Suns are going to be a monster this year. Um, I think there's some expectation out there for kind of like a finals loss hangover, uh, which I just don't see coming. Like, yeah. I think that I think this team entered last postseason as like with the profile of a team that should have been the favorite to come out of the West. Like if you just looked at like they had an elite offense and an elite defense, they had guys whose games translated to the postseason. They had the depth, like they had the coaching, they had everything. And I think the reason people were just hesitant to pick them was experience, which is fair, but whether or not they would have made it last year, um, had everyone been healthy they made it now and they have that experience now. And as whatever regression you expect from Chris Paul, I think will be offset by improvement from uh, Bridges, Booker, Aiton, uh, Cam, uh, Cam Johnson. I, I just think that like Phoenix is going to be the one seed in the West. And I, I, it's hard for me to not see Monty win this award uh, after not winning last year, if that's the case. Well, yeah. And, and, uh, my uh, my runner up pick is uh, who like I think he might have finished third last year, but uh, uh, Quinn Snyder. Whereas I was I was sort of surprised Snyder didn't win last year, given oh. how dominant that Jazz team was in the regular season, had one of the best point differentials in NBA history. And I see the Jazz. I actually expect the Jazz to be the one seed yet again this season, but I think it's Jazz and it's Utah and the uh, and Phoenix one two in some order. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I think either of those guys, uh, obviously, given that coach of the year usually goes to teams that uh, do really well or like last year, do a lot better than we expected as far as Thibodeau. But yeah, I, I think any of those guys are, you know, any of Williams, Snyder, McMillan, they, they all have a decent case. Yeah. And Steve Nash, too. Another guy who was yep. in the conversation last year. Uh, I could easily see him, him getting there. Now uh, let's let's get to uh, let's get to rookie of the year next. Do you want to go first? I will. Uh, so I went with Cade Cunningham. Okay. Um, I think that this is just a. I mean, anyone can win rookie of the year, and, and I do want to ask you 
assuming you have Kate or Jalen, which we'll see, uh, I do want to ask you who you think the third most likely person is. But uh, I, I would really be lying if I said I have like a really clear reason why I went with Kate over Jalen. Like to me, they're both like not only incredible talents, I just think they're both like so composed. Um, and despite their age, they're just going to be like guys who are elite from day one. Um, the reason I pick Cade is just because I think he just can affect the game in a few more ways, which makes him a little more like uh, resistant to like, let's say Jalen Green isn't efficient as a rookie. I think he can't really win rookie of the year if he really struggles to be efficient. And he he was extremely efficient in summer league. I, I'm not saying he won't be, but like Cade, even if like his efficiency comes along slowly, he's going to get more defensive stats. He's, he's going to affect the game more defensively. I think he's, he's going to get more assists. He's probably going to get more rebounds. Um, just statistically, I think he, he is a bit safer bet to put up numbers. And I think along the same lines, he just does affect the game in more ways. Um, so, so that was kind of the tiebreaker for me, but I really have no idea. Yeah, that was a compelling case, and I might have to change my pick because I, I I went with Jalen Green, um, uh-huh. and and my thought process was that uh, you know it was going to be more Jalen Green was going to average more points per game, and I, I think I was maybe too focused on that because I agree that I, I and and in my own mind I was thinking like yeah Jalen Green will win Rookie of the Year, but Cade Cunningham will be the better rookie if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, yeah, you, you make a strong argument that, yeah, when you talk about the total stat line, like, you know, if Cade Cunningham is averaging 17 points, eight rebounds, and say five assists, and Jalen Green's putting up 23 points, three rebounds, and three assists or something, like, who gets the edge there? Um, right. And I mean, both of these teams are going to be terrible. I actually think Houston will be a little more terrible, but yeah, I could be wrong about that as well. I mean, they're both going to be bad. Well, yeah, since, since I wrote down Jalen Green, I'll, I'll stick with that, but I'll just say you made a convincing argument there. That's uh, fair. Uh, so let's let's get to the sixth man. And I want to go first here because I think you're going to be happy to hear who okay. I have at this okay. spot. And it's partly because, you know, there, there's a concern about if he's going to actually fulfill the sixth man criteria. But I've got Jordan Poole here yes. as sixth man of the year. And my thought process is he's going to start, uh, at, you know, while Clay is out. And this is also largely dependent on when Clay returns. Like I'm, I'm hoping and expecting Clay will return sometime in December. But if it's like late January, I think Poole will you know, get too many starts because basically you have to, you have to come off the bench in more games than you start to, to uh, be eligible here. Uh, But I, yeah, so I'm thinking pool's going to start initially put up pretty big numbers. And then even when clay comes back, he'll be, he'll be still getting plenty of minutes, but uh, will be the, the primary primary initiator when Steph is off the floor. So I think pool's going to have a really nice season and, and we saw really nice strides from him last year. And uh, even in that preseason game last night, we saw him taking a couple of deep bombs. Yeah, he was amazing last night. Um, I So I picked Jordan Clarkson again here, but I had Jordan Poole as the guy I wanted to talk about because yeah. I think that like there's nothing to say about Clarkson. Like To me, the only reason I had Clarkson is because I think Poole's best case scenario is kind of to be what Clarkson was last year, um, which is just like, a high scoring energy guard off the bench 
for a really good team. And I just think the path is a lot clearer for Clarkson. He's not going to start. Um, he doesn't need to make strides. He's already made. So like, he just seemed like a safer pick to me, but I, I wanted to talk about pool instead because he was the next guy for me. And um, I mean, everything you said, he made the strides down the stretch last year. Uh, it was really after that G league bubble experience that his game, just like, you can look at the stats. Um, there was still inconsistency. Like if you look at his averages overall post G league, it was like 15 points a game on not great efficiency. Um, but it was better in the final seven or eight games. He was at more of around 20 on high efficiency. And, and even if you don't want to say like that, those games are more representative, which they may not be, especially with all of the like teams down the stretch of the season that might be resting guys or whatever it is. I just think with pool, it's more of an eye test thing where something flipped for him where early, I mean, in his rookie season and early in his second year, like his, his processing was just so off. Like he would make not only like poor decisions, but you could tell sometimes that he was like trying to make the right decision to like with too much intention, like too much intention where it's like, okay, I have been taking a lot of bad shots you know, Steve Kerr has been telling me like, you need to make better reads. So now I'm going to try to make a play for someone else, but it was telegraphed and it was like, not the time to be, it was actually the time to shoot. And then he just came back from the G league and suddenly was like making the right decision almost every time and making quick decisions. And, and last night watching him in that first game, he was even quicker in his decision-making where it's like, not only is he making quicker decisions than he used to, but like, this guy's actually like, seems to be reading the game as an offensive player faster than almost anyone on the floor where he's catching the ball and he's immediately going into a move. He's going straight downhill or he's like jab stepping and stepping back. Um, he's getting trapped. He's passing out of the trap really like, like before they get there. Um, he's just, he just processes the game differently. And like, if he can, you know, show not doesn't, you don't have to be extremely consistent as a jump shooter to win this award, like Jordan Clarkson is not. Um, but if he can at least have enough games like he did late last season, like he did last night where he's coming in and being that spark plug, I, I think that, um, I think he's right there. The only question with him really is like, again, will he meet the requirements? Right. And, and yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. You're talking about his decision-making because as, you know, as a former high school player that definitely had a quick trigger and liked to shoot the basketball a lot. Uh, I think a lot of it just comes down to like, you know, I think some guys who are, you know, have that scoring mentality, they hear from their coaches that you're, you know, you've got to pass more, you got to do this and that. And you start to lose that scoring mentality a little bit and focus too much on the passing. Whereas it feels like he, he had a nice balance of still like every time he's, he's got the ball, he's looking to score but then reacting to how the defense, if the defense takes away his opportunity to score, then you, you move from there. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's sometimes a tough balance for young guys to get, but yeah, I agree. He he's definitely improved in that area. And yeah, he's uh, he's going to have ample opportunity with this team. And, and, you know, even with Utah, we saw last year, like Joe Ingles was a contender. So it's, it's not like Jordan Clarkson is the, the runaway favorite here either. Right. Right. No, I agree. Um, I think there are some other interesting candidates like Ingles, obviously. Um, I had issue. I was trying to think of like 
can I go in a different direction with this? I thought about Derek Rose. I thought about Danilo Gallinari. I even thought about Cam Johnson. Um, but my issues just to quickly run through here, like, so Rose, I, I love what he did in New York last year. I just, I'm a little worried about the depth in that backcourt at this point uh, with Kemba, with Fournier, with Quickly. I don't know if he's going to have quite the same usage. Um, Gallo, it's a similar thing. Like that team is so deep. Um, I don't even know if he's the sixth man. Like maybe Kevin Herter's the sixth. I, I don't know how like how it works there. Um, or maybe it's Bogdanovich. Like who's starting? Who's coming off the bench? There's so many options. And then Cam Johnson, I I think is uh, going to make big strides this year, but just doesn't fit the profile of the sixth man of the year. He's not going to be that level of scorer. Um, but those were three guys that I really looked at. I also looked at Jalen Brunson. I looked at Patty Mills. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about any kind of, because this is always kind of a deep open field. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess the, the two guys I would like to talk about the most is because I had them written down was Derek Rose and Jalen Brunson. And as far as Rose, you mentioned the, the, the depth of the Knicks backcourt, I guess I'm also just assuming Kemba's going to miss games and miss time. So that will propel Rose to, to more minutes, more opportunities and stuff. And yeah, he was, he seems very comfortable with Tom Thibodeau. I expect him to have another solid season. As far as Brunson, we, we talked about earlier when we were mentioning the, the Mavericks and Luka making first-team All-NBA. The, the Mavs still do not have a ton of uh, secondary playmakers, and he's really the only other guy there. And uh, if they're going to be you know, an excellent offense and not completely fall off a cliff with Luka off the floor, it's going to be because of Jalen Br- Brunson largely. Yeah, I, I think actually – of all these guys, he's probably the one that intrigues me the most for this award because I don't know. I, I could see uh, Jason Kidd also trying to decentralize their offense a little bit more, um, which would help Brunson's case in theory. So statistically, I, I could see him making another leap. And he, he's just like, I, I just love his game to begin. Um, so, so I could see him kind of being that, that clear second option on a team um with a high powered offense and and yeah yeah it was surprising to me that uh, Brunson didn't play more in the playoffs last year given uh, Carlisle's propensity for you know multi-guard sets he's loved that in the past and I thought Brunson was like one of the Mavs six or seven best guys on their roster last season despite his diminutive stature but yeah um yeah, so let's let's get to uh, most improved player next. And uh, I I've already mentioned this guy making my second team all defense, but okay. I've got most improved player as OG Ananobi. Okay, yeah. Um, again, another award with a long list of runner-ups, and he, he was on my list. Um, I went with DeAndre Ayton here. I like uh, it. But yeah, I, I want to hear your your argument for OG. Yeah. So. Um, I think with OG, we've, we've seen in, in previous seasons his, uh, his ability to just lock down defensively one-on-one. I think one of his biggest growths on that end is going to be as a help defender, and I expect him to, to get a few more steals, a few more blocks this time around this season. And also offensively, we, we've seen just very uh, slow incremental progress with his off-the-bounce game. But without Kyle Lowry in the fold, I think the Raptors are going to rely on more of a balanced approach offensively where a lot of guys are touching it. There's a lot of passing, a lot of, uh, of uh, you know, 
different guys getting opportunities to run pick and roll actions. And I see OG Ananobi maybe not taking the leap that we saw from Jalen Brown like a couple of years ago, but something similar to that where he becomes a guy that we don't think of as just a three and D player anymore, that he's a little bit more than that. And uh, yeah, I've I've always really liked him. And I think he's got the athleticism, the size, the length to, uh, to do all of this stuff. It's just a matter of developing that skill set. Yeah. And I mean, there's precedent with guys doing that in the Toronto system with a somewhat similar skill set in in Pascal Siakam. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a great pick. I think that, uh, the reason that I went away from him was more just like, I don't know if this is the year. Yeah, um, that's fair. It could have been last year. It could be next year, but but this certainly could be the year. Whereas with Aiton, he just seems like a guy who, uh, I mean, the way that this award works a lot of the time too is like the guys make the strides previously and then it just like, they, they get credit kind of for either putting up better numbers or just like doing it over the course of a full season or whatever it is. But Aiton like, Aiton showed a lot of improvement throughout last year, and he, he was in the conversation last year. And then he took a clear leap in the playoffs where, like, if he can be the guy he was in last year's postseason, um, both just as an impact player and statistically, I think he's already right there for this award. Um, and if he can grow from there, which, like, he just seems like he's wired to not settle for the growth he's had so far, um, I, I think that he he could it could be a thing where he like runs away with it. Like if DeAndre Ayton's putting up 20 and 11 um, and anchoring like a top defense and is on the top team, like he's, he's going to run away with it. If, if he does that, I'm not expecting quite that, but like um, he, he just seemed like kind of a clear, like this is going to be the year that he makes the leap for me. Um, and then uh, I also, I mean, I don't know if you have anything you want to say there. I, there's also a couple other guys I did want to touch on. Yeah, as far as Aiden, the, the, yeah, like he obviously showed out in the postseason. A lot of that just came down to he was a lot more efficient. He was just making a lot more of the shots that he normally took yeah. uh, during the regular season. And, uh, you know, he showed tremendous strides on the defensive end. And the, the thing, I guess, my argument, and I considered Aiden, my argument against him potentially winning this is he already put up, you know, decent counting stats last year. And even those numbers you just mentioned, if he puts up 2011, that's what, like a five or six point jump and maybe like one or two rebounds sort of thing. Um, I don't know if that's the kind of leap that uh, the voters are really looking for. Like, I feel like in the past we've seen guys like CJ McCollum, right, where he averaged like six points a game because he was only playing 13 minutes. And then the next season he averaged 20 points a game because, uh, you know, he became a starter. Right. Uh, you know, those are the kind of statistical leaps where I, I see a, uh, you know, guys win. And then also like a Julius Randall's case last year or a Jeremy Grant, for instance, is where they like go into a, an elevated role. They go from being a secondary player to the primary guy. And I don't obviously see that for Aiden either, but right. I, I definitely feel like a lot of the things that maybe um, the, this voting base don't consider Aiton is going to improve significantly like the defense and, and those sorts of things. And I'm hoping he improves in areas like the, the post-up game, getting to the free throw line, those sorts of things to become like a, a legitimate number two option for that Phoenix team. Yeah, no, I think you make good points kind of about like the way that the voting base looks at this thing. Um, I do think my runner up 
for this award kind of fits that criteria, like the CJ McCollum criteria a little bit more. And that's Terrence Mann. Um, okay. I, so, I mean, Terrence Mann last year, obviously, was was a nice part of the Clippers rotation at times, not even the whole season. But um, by the playoffs, he obviously was, was pretty central to what they were doing. Uh, and he's just going to have, obviously, with Kawhi out, I think, like, there's a chance for him to double his points per game, if not more this season. Um, he averaged like seven points per game last year. I, I could easily see him being up in the mid teens mm-hmm. and he's, he's just a, like, I am extremely impressed with him as a player. Um, I'm extremely fond of Tyrone Lou's system. I think again, like I, I alluded to earlier, I think the Clippers are going to finish a little bit higher than some people might think without Kawhi this season. Um, and I think man is like, I don't know who else is going to take those shots from Kawhi. I mean, Reggie Jackson is still there. They brought in Eric Bledsoe. I don't even know how much those guys are going to play together. Um, but man, to me, is like the clear front runner to be like the statistical beneficiary of that absence. I love that. I love that call. I'm, I'm kind of angry at myself for not thinking of him. But uh, the, uh, the couple of guys uh, that we haven't mentioned yet that I had on my list, um, you know, Typical, I, I feel like a lot of the winners are kind of uh, going from year two to year three guys. And a couple of guys there I've got are uh, Darius Garland for the Cavs. I expect some some big growth from him. And I think he might even surpass Sexton as like the clear best offensive piece on the Cavs moving forward this year. And then Jaron Jackson Jr., I think in part because, you know, people think of Jared Jackson Jr. as what he was last year when he came back and was kind of hurt and uh, you know, was uh, was not looking like himself both in that stretch run of the regular season and in that playoff series against Utah. But if we see Jaron Jackson like a slightly better version of what he was two years ago, I think people might uh, might consider him in this in this discussion. Yeah, I, I like both of those calls a lot. Um, I also think just to throw a couple other names out there. I mean, I had I had Jordan Poole here too. I think if if he's going to be in contention for for six man, he also will be in contention here. Um, right. And then Michael Porter Jr. too. Like he, with with Jamal Murray missing the entire season, again, this is less about like, will MPJ make another leap as a player? I mean, he could, he's, he's obviously extremely young still, um, but it's just an opportunity thing. Like he averaged 19 points a game last year. So it's not like he's going to have that like Terrence Mann potential, but if he goes from 19 to 25, that's not like out of the realm of possibility. Um, and I do think people tend to like guys entering like that elite level. Um, if he, if he's an all-star candidate or if he's an all-star, like he could easily win this thing. Yeah. That's another, that's another good call. And yeah, I, I, I like your comment too, that like, you know, I, I don't necessarily expect us to see a ton of growth skill wise from Porter jr. This year, I think he's going to be a similar player, but yeah, if he just has a higher usage and gets more shot attempts, like, yeah, those, those overall stat lines will be better. Um, moving on to, uh, we've got two more of these individual awards. Defensive Player of the Year, Simon. Who did you have here? Gobert. Um, Same. I, I it's think boring, that, but uh, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's so boring. And like voter fatigue, like voters get bored too. Um, but that being said, like there is historical precedent for guys winning four of these things. The Kemba Mutombo won four. Ben Wallace won four, and I think Rudy Gobert's just like up there with those guys as one of the greatest defensive players of all time. Yep. Um, and if and if he anchors another 
top ranked defense again, like he's just going to win it again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, not, there's not much else to say there, but uh, yeah. as far as uh, an honorable mention and maybe I'm assuming you also have this guy in, in consideration, but I had uh, Draymond green as a potential runner up here, given that we both think there's still going to be the warriors are still going to be a, a top 10 level defense. And he's a big part of it, the reason why. Yeah. Yeah. I had four guys just like Bam Embiid, Giannis and Draymond. Um, and with all of them, it was kind of like, if there were to be voters who were like not wanting to vote for Gobert, I would think that it would need to be a guy off of like, if Utah's the number one defense, which I think they will be, it would have to be a guy off like the second or third best defense. And I, I have those teams as Phoenix and Memphis and, and those teams don't really have candidates. So like if these guys, Giannis and B Draymond bam, like if those defenses are like six through 10, I just think the gap's too big where you can't really justify not voting Gobert. Um, but but they're all they're all in the mix, and obviously Gobert there could be injuries or or whatever. Uh, it's not like this is a lock, but I, this was the easiest one for me to pick by far. Yeah. So uh, let's get to the the category that I think most people that have uh, been listening have been waiting for, and that is the uh, the pick for the 2021-22 NBA MVP. Simon, who you got? I have Steph Curry. Okay, I love it. <laughs> um, so I guess this is just like where I'll talk about the Warriors. I, I mean, we, we've talked about them some, we talked about the defense. Um, I think that last year, again, I think the defense is not going to fall off much. You, you did make the point about kind of the, the backcourt defense, but I, I don't think it was all that much better last year. Um, and I just think the offense on this team got so much, not only better, but, just suited for Steph Curry. And and if you like to contextualize what Steph did last year, um, it's not just like that. He carried a pretty poor roster to the eight seed, although they did lose in the play. in obviously um, it's not just that he did that. And it's not just that he like was able to win a second scoring title and be as efficient as ever, despite, uh, not being on a very good team. It's just that the team was so ill-fitting for his game. Like the number one thing to put, like people talked about the lack of shooting on that team. And that was huge. That was a huge detriment because Steph, uh, the easiest way to guard Steph is just to force him to give up the ball and make other guys hit shots. And that's how teams played the Warriors all year. But even more than the lack of shooting, I think what really hurts him is, is a lack of passing. Um, and it just became like Draymond Green had to be the full-time guy who sets up Steph Curry at all times. Yeah. And and he's Draymond is such a next level playmaker and like has such an like amazing chemistry with Steph that he was able to do it despite that defenses were able to key in on it, but they certainly were able to key in on it. And I think now just like with Andre Iguodala back, with guys like Otto Porter, Bielitsa, who are just like high IQ players who can just make decisions and move the ball. Um, with Clay Thompson coming back, I and Jordan Poole making the growth he's made. Juan Toscano Anderson probably gonna get slightly larger role, another good decision maker. I just think there's a ton of basketball IQ on this roster now and and guys who can just play Steve Kerr's system the way that it's supposed to be played. Um and to me, that mixed with Steph still not having like a KD to compete with for touches or even 
a prime Clay Thompson to compete with for touches is just going to make him statistically the same guy he was last year, at least, and uh, make this offense one of the top offenses in the league. Um, and if that happens and the defense stays top 10, then this will be, I think, a top four seed in the Western Conference. Um, so to me, that that's kind of the case. Obviously, there's a lot of other guys. I'm curious who you had and, and kind of what your take is on that. But but I want to. Yeah, so I had Steph as my number two in okay. my MVP vote, and I wrote down four four guys. But uh, yeah, um, the uh, yeah, that's that's a compelling case. The you know when you talk about what he did last year, they were basically I think like around of you know in a normal season when Steph played, they 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 were like a forty six win team, which is crazy to think about. Like and you know given the improvements that you talked about that they made with the roster, given that you know, if Clay plays half the season and is pretty good, uh, that'll be, you know, the, they can maybe be 500 going into having Clay back and then really push it towards the end of the year and get up into the, you know, mid to high 40s and wins. I, I think they probably have to get close to like 49, 50 wins for Steph to be in consideration. Would you would you agree with that? I do. And I, I just think they're going to. Um, I, I see them as if you look at last year's team as, I mean, they, they went 39 and 33. Um, that was obviously with Steph missing some time, but I think it's fair to expect him to do that again. Um, I just think that this roster, even without Clay Thompson, there are a few wins better than that now based on the stuff I was talking about. So that would push them, uh, you know, 39 over the 70, over the 82 game season, put them around like 45. I think they're high forties, roster without clay i i think they're going to get into the 50s uh with just kind of average health and clay coming back after let's say a month and a half or two months yeah um i i love that pick my only my only sort of concern would be i feel like everything sort of has to go right there for that to for that to yeah. happen steph has to avoid steph and draymond have to avoid any long uh long injury uh spells they uh they need to get clay back at least for a few months and he has to be pretty good. We have no idea what we're, we're what to expect from him. And yeah, the, the pool growth, which obviously I've mentioned, I expect, but you know, it's not guaranteed. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, as, as you said, they, they got to hope that the defense doesn't slide too much. I think my, um, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm, I, I feel pretty similarly about the Warriors as you, I might be a little bit lower just because I don't think their offense is going to be, I think they'll be better than last year, obviously, but I expect them to be, I think they were in the low twenties last year. I think they were 20. Exactly. Okay. So like, I'm thinking they will be like kind of 14, 15 range this year with a similar defense. So they'll, they'll obviously be better, but maybe not quite as, as good as you're expecting. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. I mean, I'm, I kind of put the offense up into like the top six or seven as, as I did with the defense. Um, but but it does need to get there for for this to happen. So who so who was your MVP? And another boring pick. I'm going with Giannis. Okay okay. I was expecting you to say Luca there based on our conversation. Before, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if uh, if Rick Carlisle was still the coach, I might have picked you, Luca. But yeah, uh, yeah I, again, given that I don't think Dallas is going to be quite as good as a team, uh, I think that'll hurt his MVP. Even though he'll be better as an individual. As far as Giannis, you know. I think there's there's an element at times where we've seen in the past where a guy having that great playoff run 
uh, the, the voters then sort of give him his due the following season, especially if he puts up another good regular season. And Giannis has been one of the most consistent regular season performers in NBA history. He's going to put up great numbers. The Bucs are going to be a great team. He's going to be right there. And also, you know, given that he didn't win last year, there maybe isn't that voter fatigue that we saw uh, a little bit, even though, yeah, I thought Jokic was very much deserving last season. Yeah, no, it, it's a really strong case. I mean, I I have the Bucs as my one seed. I do think Giannis could be just like better than ever this year. Um, the thing that I'm like maybe most excited about going into this season for anything in the league. And I know this is kind of like a little silly, but I just, I'm so curious is like, is Giannis going to shoot free throws better this year? Um, I just, I mean, I know that with free throw shooting for a lot of these guys, it's never like been about their actual form. Like not that Giannis has great form, but still all the reports are that he knocks them down in an empty gym. Uh, Like it is with pretty much any, you know, 60% 60% type free throw shooter, 60 or like a lot of these guys, it's like they can hit free throws when they're in the right mindset. And Giannis did that on the biggest stage in game six, he hit 17 and 19. Um, and that just seems like a thing that could like unlock you. And if, and if Giannis comes back and is like a 75% free throw shooter, um, the, the only way to defend this guy is to foul him. And it's not just the free throw shooting, right? He also, there was a lot of stuff he did in that series um, that he kind of just seemed to overcome like hesitancy with like just, and a lot of it could be in relation to free throw shooting. Like he doesn't want to get fouled or whatever it is, but he just like cut out a lot of the jumpers that were unnecessary, went to the basket every single time, was completely unstoppable. I don't expect him to play like he did in games two through six. Uh, for games one through 82 this season. But if, if that just like is the new Giannis to some extent, then he's going to be better than ever. And he's a two-time MVP as is. So, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, on a recent low post podcast, uh, Zach Lowe mentioned that people don't realize this because of his playoff struggles, but he's actually like a career 72% free throw shooter. I just checked his 71.7. So it's okay. like, it's not as bad as you think, but yeah, like, if he even just boosts that, given how often he gets to the line to 75% for the regular season, like that's a, that's a, that's a nice bump. And the big issue is he's a 61% postseason free throw shooter. So, but, that, he, but he has been in the sixties, the last couple of years in the regulars. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the postseason struggles are obviously the most important when you're talking about the bucks and their, their chances of trying to repeat and everything. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely could see that as well. I'm also curious to see if like basically every home crowd adopts the counting to 10 now for the, uh, for the free throws, given what happened in the postseason. Right. Yeah. I mean, who knows though? I mean, he, he really did kind of turn that on its head, but we'll see. Um, and like, like I said, I mean, Milwaukee is like, if they're a one seed, now that you're, you're kind of laying out the case and I'm thinking about it more like more has to break right for Steph than it does for Giannis for sure. Uh, the, the counter argument I would make is that if things do break right for both, I think like the narrative will be even stronger for Steph. Absolutely. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Steph, one of the all time greats having one potentially one last MVP level season. I hope that this won't be his last, but yeah. um, that could be kind of how it's perceived. Um, yeah. The, the, uh, 
I guess one more guy I'll mention here that I had and, uh, you know, I picked him and was, was correct not to toot my own horn, but was correct last year in picking Jokic as my MVP. He's, I think he's got a strong case to repeat. I mean, he's one of the most durable, durable players in the NBA. He, he will have the, I think it, you know, hurts Denver as a team, but it helps Jokic's MVP candidacy that Murray is going to miss a good chunk of time. And, uh, you know, he just continues to be this unstoppable offensive force that, uh, puts up just ridiculous stat lines year over year. Yeah. So what Jokic needs to do, and he's actually a great candidate to do it is kind of do what, what Steph did and what Giannis did when they went back to back, which is like make another big leap Um, because he's just not going to win having the same season he did last year, unless everyone, all these other candidates are injured or or their teams underachieve or whatever. But like people don't want to give, people never want to give, out an award to the same guy two years in a row and they especially don't to these kind of like outsiders right whether it's like Steph being a guy who wasn't highly touted early on or Giannis or Jokic being like international players I just think there's this inherent bias um that people like reluctantly vote for these guys uh because they have to so Jokic is going to make them have to make them have to vote for him again which would be him just going up another level but the thing is he can do it like he's still 26 last year was his first year he played like in the current physical shape that he's in he could still get an even better shape um which it looks like from from some pictures that i've seen it looks like he is even in better shape yeah so like that's that's terrifying for the league <laughs> and and if he and if he is like a tier better this year and murray's out then yeah his numbers could be even more insane next season um the narrative could be there without Murray absolutely he's he, he could do it um Luca is just the one other guy I wanted to touch on because I'm like you I think that Luca could arguably be the best player in the league this year and while I think we both agree that Jason Kidd is going to make that impossible uh we don't know that so if he doesn't then like if, if Dallas finishes in the same realm as the Warriors and Nuggets. Um, Luca could just statistically be the best of all those guys. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's, he's, uh, yeah, just from an individual stats standpoint, Luca Doncic is already putting up MVP caliber numbers. It's just a matter of can, uh, and Dallas suffered so many, uh, so many unfortunate issues with COVID related absences last year. So, you know, that could be a situation where like, yeah, maybe if they're just healthy and not dealing with all that nonsense, like uh, they'll, they'll just be better. And yeah, they'll be in that three to five range. Um, What's your, I know we, we, we mentioned that the Warriors kind of need to get to that 49 50 win territory. What would you say for, are do you feel like it's similar for both, Jokic and the Nuggets and and Luka and the Mavs getting to 50 wins or do you feel like it's a higher threshold for those two um I don't know I I never think of it in wins as much as in like standings um yeah but I would say that it is a slightly lower threshold probably for Luka um I think that or or maybe maybe it's similar for I, I mean Jokic again there's the issue that he won it last year I think that makes the threshold a little higher for him um and i think for the warriors i i think yeah like top five at a minimum um but i i think really more top three or four for steph but but dallas 
to me, it's like five seed would be enough. And I, I just don't think they're going to do that. Uh, but that roster is like, there's just nothing. I mean, especially if Porzingis doesn't return to form. Um, Luca has that like carry the team narrative behind him. Um, and especially with some of the turmoil around that team, it's like he could just be bringing this franchise falling apart back together individually. So I, I do think it's a slightly lower bar for, for Dallas than for Denver or Golden State. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's get into the final couple of things that we had, uh, which is the uh, predictions for the, the conference finalists, the the uh, conference champions, and the eventual NBA champions. So uh, Simon, why don't you get us started with uh, your Western Conference finalists? Yeah, so this is where I, I promised like some uh, some Warriors uh, optimism would come out. This is where it really is because I think. Okay. Steph- Steph is a Steph as MVP is a little more like anyone can say that. Um, I I do have the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals facing Phoenix. So this is just based on the way I looked at the brackets. Um, my my Western Conference standings. I mean, let's just let's just look at the top five because after that, like I have the Clippers at six, but I I'm not betting on them. I don't know what Kawhi's health is going. Kawhi's going to have to be back in that full strength for them to contend. Um, so my top five is Phoenix, Utah, Golden State, LA, or, or the Lakers, and Denver. Um, I think that whoever wins the series between the Lakers and Denver, I, I am picking Phoenix to beat that team. And I think that I would pick the Warriors with Clay Thompson. Obviously, Clay needs to be back too, but like his return date is, you know, January at, at the latest, it seems. Um, you're, hoping like, that he, you're hoping that he sort of rounds into form as well by playoff time. Exactly. Whereas like, even if Kawhi or Jamal Murray is back uh, in April, like what kind of impact are they going to have at that point? Um, so I, I have the Warriors beating Utah in the second round series, um, which puts them in the conference finals. And then again, Phoenix, I just think, yes, they beat the Lakers last season with Anthony Davis hobbled, but, I first of all think that it's very possible that AD or LeBron will be hobbled again. And I'm also, we haven't really talked about the Lakers at all. I'm just not high on the Lakers this season. Um, I'm so, not either. So, so who are your uh, Western conference finals then? I'm assuming the Lakers aren't in there for you either. No, they are not. Uh, and I do also have the Phoenix suns and uh, my other team is the Utah jazz. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's totally like, Utah um, is the team, other team I consider besides Golden State. So what's, what's your kind of case for that? So, you know, everyone looks at the fact that they lost to the Clippers and they lost those couple of games when even after Kawhi went out. But I look at that and I say, well, Mitchell was dealing with an ankle. Mike Conley didn't play most of that series. And even when he came back, he, I think he hurt them more than he helped them, honestly. Uh, so, you know, and in the bubble, they, of course, the Jazz didn't have Bogdanovich. So I'm just expecting like, you know, with, with all these predictions, I'm, I'm hoping that these teams are healthy and I'm expecting them to be healthy because, you know, pro- you know, projecting out some random injury is impossible at this point. Uh, but if they're healthy, I think Utah, you know, is the best team on both ends of the floor in the Western Conference. They showed it last year. They were top five on both ends. They were do- had a dominant point differential. And even in that series against the Clippers, they lost defensively in that series. Offensively, they were terrific. Donovan Mitchell has shown that he's a good number one option in the postseason. 
Uh, I've really liked his growth. They just have so much shooting on that roster. They've built out, a, I think, a, a team that can play better and, and play, you know, with small ball fives when Gobert is off the floor with the likes of Rudy Gay and also uh, the former the former warrior, uh, Pascal. So I like, I love their offense. I think Rudy Gobert in most matchups, you know, is going to keep them at a high level defensively. I think that Clippers matchup just in particular, the way they were able to play five out and have five guys that all could shoot, dribble and pass. I mean, there's not actually a lot of teams that could do that without like, you know, sacrificing a ton of stuff on the, on the defensive end. So I think if Utah avoids that Clippers matchup, I still think they're probably the uh, and and I guess we'll we'll just get to the next part of this. I have Utah beating Phoenix and getting to the NBA Finals out of the West. Okay, so so I I have Phoenix beating Golden State. Um, but that being said, I, a lot of the way that I do this is like just trying to factor in likelihood. Um, so Phoenix to me is like not only do they not have any because like you said we can't predict injuries that haven't happened um we can factor in durability concerns for players who get injured a lot but to what extent do you really can you really factor that in like i'm i'm baking it in a bit for the lakers because ad just seems to be so routinely hobbled um i'm baking it in a little for phoenix with chris paul but like they, i don't think they rely on chris paul quite as much they they made their run last year with Chris Paul dealing with multiple injuries throughout the playoffs. Um, and I, and I think that they just, they're like the most sure thing. Uh, Utah is the second most sure thing for sure. Like even with the Warriors, they're still the Clay Thompson question. I think that Clay Thompson is, while we don't know what level of player he'll be at, I don't think he needs to be like an all-star anymore. I think if he's just an elite off ball scorer, um, and, and, you know, kind of can't do as much with the ball and can't do as much defensively. I think that's all the Warriors need to get to the conference finals, but we still don't know. Um, and then, like, if, if these teams were all at full strength, like we said, the entire league is at full strength, I would take the Clippers and the Nuggets. Like, to me, those are the top two teams at full strength. But I'm, I'm just, that is the biggest leap you would have to make. So just, like, based on uh, what is the most likely, I think it's Phoenix. I think Utah is right there with phoenix in terms of certainty the difference um this is kind of a long-winded way of getting to it but to me the difference is i don't think that that bad matchup is as hard for them to get to as it seems you do like i think the warriors would be that for them too uh if, if plays there steph and then draymond playing the five um i think that's another terrible matchup for them and so then it starts to be like well, what are the matchups that they would need to avoid? You're talking about them going through two rounds of the playoffs um, to get to the conference finals. So, so that's why like Utah to me is, is in a slightly different tier than Phoenix, but you actually have them beating Phoenix. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess the, when, when I mentioned, yeah, you, you're right that the Warriors can present defensive issues for the jazz. I guess my, my thing was that, you know, the Clippers, were able to really give them issues on both ends of the floor, you know, with, with the fact that they had the likes of Patrick Beverly and Terrence Mann and those guys to throw at, you know, your, your uh, Donovan Mitchell's, your Mike Conley's of the world. You know, if if you're talking golden state, we, we already just discussed that the warriors backcourt defense, they do have Avery Bradley, but you know, 
is he going to play over staff pool and clay in the playoffs? Like probably not that much. So it was the combination of both sides of the ball. Like, yeah, I, I think the Warriors can present challenges and, and score on Utah, but can they stop the jazz? <laughs> you know, that's right. That's the thing. Like, I, I think this Utah jazz offense, like, you know, the, the Clippers were a historically great three point shooting team last year. And I think had the best three point shooting percentage in NBA history, but the jazz were like right there, <laughs> they're right behind them. And they've got six or seven guys that are automatic from three and can get really hot. So that's the thing to me is it's like, yeah, some of these teams might be able to present a problem on one end of the floor, but you know, I think the Warriors offensively with, with Clay, Steph and Draymond present a problem, you know, on that end to every defense. Yeah. Uh, it's a matter yeah. of beating them on both ends. And yeah, I, I, I trust the jazz to be pretty good on, on, uh, on each side of the ball. And, you know, the other, the other thing with, with Utah, the other matchup in the past that I was concerned about was that Lakers matchup because the Lakers could go with LeBron at the four and AD at the five and really cause Gobert some issues. But now the jazz could throw Gobert on Russell Westbrook. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, 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 I think we should probably talk about the Lakers because we didn't have any of their players for individual awards and we, we don't have them in the conference finals, but like they are the prohibitive favorite uh, to most people to come out of the West. So like, I mean, Russell Westbrook is a huge part of it. What is there anything else about them that is, is giving you pause? Cause for, for me, there's like several issues. Well, beyond the fact that their average age of their roster is like 36. Right. Right. <laughs> That's that's a concern. Um, the the big thing for me is they don't have a ton of lineups that I think offer that two way versatility that you would want. And I think the closest thing that they could come to that would be Westbrook, Bazemore, Ariza, LeBron, and Davis. That's the closest to me, the best two way lineup that they offer. But you know, pretty much everyone they have on their bench is a one way player. Um, you know, Russell Westbrook is such a volatile fit with this team specifically that uh, even them going small with the uh, small quote unquote small with AD at the five and LeBron at the four, uh, I still think Westbrook is going to cause a lot of spacing issues for this team. And, you know, again, people say, oh, you can put shooting around LeBron now with Carmelo and Malik Monk and some of those guys. It's like, well, then, you know, you're not defending anybody. So that, yeah. that's my biggest thing is the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all about, and maybe I overvalue this a little bit, the idea of having that great two-way lineup that gets it done on both ends of the floor. And I don't know if they have that. No, I'm, I'm completely with you. That That's exactly where I was going with it. I mean, I, the shooting they added is great. Um, I understand the, the benefit of having Wayne Ellington, of having Carmelo Anthony, uh, you know, Malik Monk, Kent Bazemore shot the ball really well last year. Trevor Ariza, I don't know how much he has left, but like they have a lot of shooters now. But like nobody I named is a guy that can really stay on the floor defensively, and that's okay if the, if you have a couple lockdown guys. But but they just don't. AD is their one high level defensive player if if he's playing the five. LeBron can still get there at times, but I I just don't know what his energy level is going to be even to sustain, I mean, not in the regular season, but even for a full playoff series. Um, and then Russell Westbrook is such a huge negative. Now, could that be Rajon Rondo instead of Russell Westbrook? Like in theory, yeah, but it's Russell Westbrook. Like you can't, you, you have to play Russell Westbrook if you have Russell right. Westbrook. 
And and Rondo wasn't a panacea last year for the Clippers by any stretch. No, no, yeah, he's. I mean, that's the other. You brought up the age, right? That's that's the other thing with all these guys. Ariza, obviously, even Ellington getting up there. Mello has never been a, a defensive stopper, uh, to say the least. Yeah, I I just don't see it. I just don't see it with this team. I think that like maybe your better bet is just playing Dwight and having AD at the four because then you can at least really bully teams um and just kind of go all in on that but then your floor spacing is getting to like just almost like incomparably bad levels in today's nba yeah then Um, you're like a bottom five offense at that point yeah i mean people don't realize the lakers like were a bottom 10 offense last year i think and even even the year before that the year that they they won the championship they were not a top 10 offense i think they were 11th yeah yeah so like this offense has not uh, even since they got Anthony Davis, this offense has never been special. It really has been a defensive calling card for them. And that's just, that's not there anymore. Um, I, I could be wrong because like, unlike with, like when Russell Westbrook went to Houston, I was just like, I will guarantee you this team is not going to make the finals. Um, I don't want to say that for this team because they still have LeBron and AD. Like, at the end of the day, if you have LeBron and AD, I'm not going to say they can't make the finals. Um, but I certainly think that they're being overrated and that like these other teams are just better. Like Phoenix and Utah are, are just better. I think the Warriors are better. Um, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't see it happening. Yeah, and again, like at some point, LeBron's going to fall off. <laughs> and, yeah. and also like, you know, outside of the bubble performance, Anthony Davis has not been a good shooter in his NBA career. He's, he's great in a lot of ways, but uh, the, the shooting uh, the floor spacing has, has not been there. So yeah, I, I am very concerned about their offense and I'm also concerned that they won't be quite as dominant defensively as they've been in the past, given the losses of, of Contavious Caldwell Pope and, and Alex Caruso. Those are significant, but right. yeah, let's, uh, let's get to the, uh, the Eastern conference and uh, Simon, let's hear who you have in the Eastern conference finals. I have Brooklyn, Milwaukee. Um, yeah, I mean, I have, I have them as my top two seeds and I just don't see who's beating them on their way there. Like I I think this one was, was a lot easier than the West. You have the same, you said? Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean like Brooklyn, even let's say like, I could see Brooklyn finishing lower in the standings where like they could be a four seed. And if they're a four seed, then this would be a second round matchup. Like it's possible, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and even if this is a second round matchup, like in, in its spirit, this is the Eastern Conference Finals, <laughs> like even if it happened right. in the first round. Which yeah. was the case last year too. So. Right, right. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, there's, there's not much else to say. Like I think they're, both of these teams fully healthy are a tier above the likes of Philadelphia, Atlanta, Boston, Miami, that, that group. Um, New York, I guess. I don't want Knicks fans angry at me. I'll, I'll throw New York and I'll lump New York in there as well. But uh, yeah, they're, uh, the the only issue for me would be like, yeah, if they if they get injured, then maybe like, you know, like last year, if the Nets suffer a couple injuries or Milwaukee loses a guy like DiVincenzo again, then maybe that lower tiered group might be able to compete and, and sneak in there. Right. But, you know, assuming relative health, similar health for all teams, at this point, like, uh, yeah, I, I just think it's pretty obvious that these two are are going to be there. And, uh, you know, I'm picking Brooklyn to get out this time around. Okay. 
So I'm actually picking Milwaukee again, um, okay. which if you've been following along means I'm picking a finals rematch. But yeah, uh, uh, I mean, look, I don't know. This series was came down to a couple inches, obviously, last year. Um, and Brooklyn was considerably less healthy than Milwaukee at that point. But first of all, I think Brooklyn is more likely to be less healthy again. Um, and secondly, I just think that like, I, I mean, once uh, that series shifted back to Milwaukee, the Bucks were a different team. And even while Kyrie was before Kyrie's injury, um, it looked like the tenor of that series was changing to me. So like, I, I do think that Milwaukee was uncharacteristically awful in those first two games. And I, that, that is just not going to happen again in this rematch. Like the Bucks have a, a confidence level that, um, sorry about the background sound. Uh, the, the, the Bucks have a confidence level that is like, just, we, we talked about it with Giannis's individual game and with kind of all their guys, it's, it's just going to be there from day one entering the playoffs this year. Um, and if Giannis takes that approach of just like the relentless attacking the basket that he did in the finals, I just think that Brooklyn doesn't have a defensive answer. Um, so that's where I'm at. But, but again, like this, this, this is probably going to be a seven game series and, and could come down to like another foot on the line. Yeah. Milwaukee, it seemed like in, in both that, uh, that series against Brooklyn and in the finals that uh, they, they really struggled offensively and then sort of figured it out as they went along. And then, yeah, that, uh, that game three with, uh, with Kyrie still healthy, but without Harden, they, they really locked down the nets defensively. I just think this Brooklyn team at full strength or even like, you know, again, if one of those three stars are down now that they have Patty Mills on there, uh, Cam Johnson, who or I mean, uh, Cam Thomas, who you mentioned, uh, they, they've just got so much more firepower that uh, I don't know if Milwaukee's going to quite be able to keep up. But, you know, as you said, given that Milwaukee has gotten through that and has that experience and now has the confidence of being the reigning champion that maybe those initial struggles, those initial moments where you're like, what are the Bucks doing offensively right now? It doesn't right. seem like they have any idea what's going on. That might just not be there this time around. And, and also, you know, Giannis was still shooting like seven threes a game at the start of that Brooklyn series. So yeah, if, if he just does what he did games five through seven in the finals, yeah, that, or excuse me, games five and six of the finals, that uh, that might uh, be advantage Milwaukee. But yeah, I, I think it'll be a competitive series. I'm I'm certainly looking forward to that potential matchup. But uh, yeah, let's let's get to the NBA Finals then. So you've got a rematch of uh, of last year's NBA Finals between the Suns and the Bucks, which the Bucks won in six. Who do you have winning it, and how many games this time around? Uh, I didn't I didn't pick a number of games. Um, think about it as we go, but. I have the Bucks again. <laughs> I okay. I just think that like what what they were able to figure out against that Phoenix team, I have not. To me, that's a a roster issue. Um, I and look, a lot of those games came down to the wire. Like if it wasn't for uh the the block that Giannis made on DeAndre Ayton, or the steal that Drew Holiday made, or the lob he threw, if Giannis you know doesn't catch that ball or whatever then the Suns could be champions. Um, but if you look at it kind of like more macro sense, uh, the Bucks just were on balance 
the better team after two games. And I think pretty definitively, even if some of those games came down to the wire and, and they also just have the best player in the NBA, in my opinion. Um, and, and it just made a lot more sense to me, like looking at that series when Phoenix was up 2-0, I just, I felt weird. I was like, this is going to, I love this Phoenix team, but these are going to be the NBA champions. Like who's their best player is Chris Paul or, or Devin Booker. Um, and like with the Bucks, it's just like, oh, their best player is maybe a top 15, maybe top 10 player in NBA history. So like, it, it's kind of that simple for me. Um, I, I just don't think that they've done anything to, to solve the Giannis problem that emerged for them last year. Um, if Giannis is even better this year, like we discussed the possibility of, uh, I, I just don't see it going differently. And, and I do want to say too, like, there's a lot of talk last year about the Bucks and Suns being, um, not like people would always say not to take any credit away, but clearly like taking some credit away. And, uh, and while I understand, like, yes, if every team is at full strength, that was probably not going to be the matchup. Um, being at full strength is hands down a skill. It's not only like a skill for a player, which it is, because if you like look at the injury Giannis suffered, against Atlanta like that that type of injury would take most dudes out um the reason it didn't take Giannis I'd, out I'd still be limping if I suffered that <laughs> yeah yeah I might need I would I might not walk again like <laughs> uh the, the 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 reason that Giannis was able to bounce back from that was partially physical like genetic um and about how the type of shape he keeps his body in and, and that stuff matters because when we talk about the best players in the league, we're talking about physical attributes. Like, so I don't understand why, like, that's luck that one guy's body is, is more durable than another's. The same way that it's not luck that one guy has longer arms or can jump higher or, or has better biomechanics. Um, that's one thing. And then the, the second thing is it's skill from a team building perspective to be able to build a roster with durable players. Um, and the Nets haven't done that. Uh, the Lakers haven't really done that. The Clippers haven't done that. So like, I don't think these teams were lucky to make the finals. And I don't think they would be lucky to do so again, even though if I, if I were picking at full strength, I would probably say Clippers. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with most of what you just said, even though I, I'm not picking a finals rematch, but uh, yeah. I had both of the teams that made the finals in the conference finals. And I think they, they certainly, they, it wouldn't surprise me if they, if they were to get back there again. Uh, and, and yeah, speaking to that Milwaukee Phoenix series, it, it felt like to me that Phoenix was the, was the better team when you look at like players two through 12 on their roster. Right. But it was like, this is just a clear case of, if one team has a top five guy and another team has a top 15 guy, that's, that's a huge differentiator. That, that is literally the difference in, uh, in who won that. Um, and yeah, I expect Giannis to be just as brilliant again in my potential matchup with the, the jazz versus the nets. Again, I think the, you know, both teams are going to be able to score pretty efficiently but uh, what Rudy Gobert does for Utah and stopping the rim, I don't think the Nets really rely on that too much outside of like a James Harden. But even he 
is such a good passer that if you try to take that away, he'll make you pay for it. Uh, so I, I just think the Nets have have too much firepower in, in that matchup in what would be a very offensive NBA Finals. Yeah, yeah, I agree. If that is the matchup, I would I would take the Nets as well. Um, I think that like Utah's offense, while it is extremely potent for a lot of different reasons. Um, I don't think they could exploit the Nets defense the same way that I think that like someone like Giannis could. I think I think they could just like survive a little bit better against that team. Um, and and yeah, like Gobert, it's it's not going to be like a situation um, like the Clippers, like you said, where it's necessarily like everybody can can attack the basket, but you have three guys that can at like an all world level. Um, and obviously they play five out. So like, I, I have no idea how you stop that team. Um, I would be really curious that like, I would kind of love to see a Lakers Nets finals, um, or a Clippers Nets finals just to have like the star power, the star power, um, like Buck Suns was really fun last year. I would kind of be disappointed to see a rematch. Like I, I want these guys to be healthy. If everyone's healthy and and that's still the matchup, great. But like, I, I do want to see the health. Um, I just think we're unfortunately entering another season where like injuries are, are going to play a huge role, and they always do. Um, but that Brooklyn team, man, like I to see them kind of go through an entire playoffs at full strength. I mean, they're not they're not as aesthetically pleasing as like the KD Warriors were, um, but they're still just like unbelievable to watch and, and they have so much shooting outside of those guys now too with, with patty Mills joining with joe harris and like i i would love to see them not suffer the same kind of injuries they did last year yeah i'm i'm really hoping that uh, especially in the western conference uh, every year i uh, get really amped for the western conference playoffs and then every year injuries kind of ruin it to a certain extent but like yeah if we somehow could get Clay Thompson and he looks pretty darn good. Jamal Murray and he looks pretty darn good. And Kawhi and he looks pretty darn good. Like the West, the West playoffs are going to be a bloodbath, and yeah. uh, I can't wait to see it. But I also think, like you know, I, I still think the West is the better conference than the East. But at the very top, I think the East makes a compelling case that they've got the best couple of teams. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I I would probably say those are the two best teams in the league. Um, and while I do think the West is is definitely the deeper conference, like I am fascinated by kind of that second tier of the East this year. Um, unlike last year, where it was like, because the play-in in the East last year was Charlotte, Washington, Indiana, and Boston. Yep. Like I don't, so Boston was the top team of that group. I think whoever's seven this year is going to be a lot better than last year's Celtics. Especially um, last year's Celtics without Jalen Brown. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So, like, I think that that'll make the race a lot more interesting. I mean, it was it was like that in the West already last year, but um, I, I think the play-in has just done, like, awesome things for these, these conference races where it's like, like, the in the West, you have Suns, Jazz, Lakers, Warriors, Nuggets, Mavs, Clippers, Trailblazers. Two of those teams are in the play. Um, like to me, that makes not only, not only do two of those teams get in the play in, but because of that, you have even like 
the fourth best team in that group having to take the regular season way more seriously to avoid falling into that that scary range. So like I'm I'm so excited for for what this has kind of done for for regular season basketball. Um and I think in both conferences this year it's going to be really interesting to see who gets that top 6. Yeah, the uh, the plan is uh you know uh, an unquestioned success in my eyes. But uh Simon, this was an absolute blast going through all of this with you. I appreciate you uh, you coming on and taking the time and Good luck with uh, all your work with the uh, the uh, NBA social team this year as well. Thanks, Garrett. It was it was great coming on. Uh, hopefully, it's not another year gap before before we do it again. Thanks for listening to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. Corbin Ford and Garrett Bouguet here with you, and uh, just wanted to to quickly say before we wrap up, uh, please subscribe, rate, and review Duncan Dynasty. We're on uh, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, wherever you get your uh, your podcast. That is uh, much appreciated. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Garrett Bouguet. Corbin, why don't you tell the people what you got going on? Oh man, you can find me on Twitter at Corbin MBA. Uh, definitely make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. I mean. Follow me is just an afterthought here, but if you want some more NBA content from yours truly, uh, check out Round Ball Ramble. Um, it is my podcast. You can also find uh, the description uh, on my Twitter handle. On my once you click on my Twitter handle, uh, definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, a bunch of other um, assorted pods. I love talking hoops, just like my friend Garrett does. So you know where to find me there. That's the main part to catch my work. Yeah, can't recommend Round Ball Ramble enough. Corbin does goes, does great stuff there, and I've appeared on it numerous times and uh, <laughs> hopefully will be uh, continuing to appear on it in the future. Again, we appreciate you all for listening and, of course, enjoy the next week in the NBA calendar.